Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. And it's Mick Mulcahy on the Neil Prendeville Show until Friday. Neil returning from his well-earned break uh, on Monday morning. Uh, let's look at the morning papers. The Irish Daily Mail has a huge headline. Zappone job, a done deal for months. But close friend Pascal Donoghue denies he was lobbied by her. That's going to be a central tenet of what's happening today. Was it lobbying? Did it constitute lobbying? Or was it just friendly banter uh, about an upcoming post? Catherine Zappone was offered a UN special envoy job almost five months before Taoiseach Michal Martin was left blindsided by by her controversial appointment at Cabinet, says Sharon McGowan, political correspondent for the Irish Daily Mail. Meanwhile, it's emerged uh, Pascal Donoghue had spoken to the former children's minister about a possible UN role as far back as last year. However, having been drawn into the embarrassing in, uh, uh, situation yesterday, the finance minister, described as a close friend of Mr. Pound, uh, denied he was lobbied by her for the UN position. Uh, that's the, the main headline on the Irish Daily Mail. The Irish Times has, as well as a lovely, joyous picture of the Solheim Cup win and the um, almost beatification of Leona Maguire. She certainly did carry them to victory, celebrating with her sister Lisa after defeating the United States. Jennifer Kupko on the 15th hole during their singles tie of the Solheim Cup uh, uh, tournament in Toledo, Ohio. Europe retaining the cup. Great picture there. Up to 12,000 out of school due to close contact. You'll have heard that in the news and Zappone thanked Coveney before formal offer is the main headline. The ministers to face opposition questions over the process that quote stinks to high heaven unquote. Officials did not discuss the special envoy role for weeks after message to Coveney. Now there's uh, some of the heavy hitters in on this one. Jack Horgan, Jones, Pat Lee and Cormac McQuinn uh, writing that the coalition is struggling to contain the fallout from Catherine Zappone's appointment as UN special envoy after it emerged, she privately thanked Simon Coveney over the role months before being formally nominated. The Echo has as its main headline, Coveney faces grilling. Committee seeks answers on Zappone. Cork TD and Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney due to appear before an Oireachtas committee today to give a comprehensive account of the circumstances surrounding the appointment of Catherine Zappone as a UN Special Envoy. Whatever you think of Simon Coveney, he is supremely able. He is a grafter. Uh, I think he will get through this. I don't think he's going to fall on his sword over this. There may be an apology needed, uh, certain clarifications needed, and certain changes in uh, the way these things are structured or planned will be needed. But um, maybe, and I'm sure he's hoping so, after today, it'll all begin to blow over. The Irish Examiner has 12,000 out of school as COVID contacts, children enduring years-long wait for genetic treatments, and the RIC commemorative event is to take place in London, a commemorative event for the Royal Irish Constabulary, the RIC, is to be held in St. Paul's Cathedral in London and next April. It follows the cancellation of the proposed state commemoration of the police force that was scheduled to be held in Dublin in January 2020, but which was abandoned after a major controversy erupted. The Irish Independent, once again, 12,000 children already out of school over close contact fears. The central bank has uh, uh, performed a gaffe which has leaked uh, home details of credit union bosses. Security fears have been raised after the central bank mistakenly gave out the names and home addresses of credit union bosses. Connor's friend is up in court, McGregor Powell, charged with assault, the alleged victim beaten unconscious in the fighter's bar. A pal of Conor McGregor says the Irish Daily Mirror has been charged with allegedly beating a man unconscious in the UFC fighter's pub. Andy Murray, who's 39, is accused along with 37-year-old John Griffiths of assault causing harm at the Black Forge Inn in Dublin on Saturday. Conor Pal on pub attack. Rap, says uh, the main headline in the Irish Daily Star. 
and uh, all of the political stuff uh, resigned to reserve for the inside pages there. And let's look at the Sun. Tribute to Sarah. Uh, Cheryl's tribute, a lovely picture of Sarah Harding, the late Sarah Harding. And uh, Cheryl, I don't even know what Cheryl's second name is these days. Is it Tweedy? Yeah, Cheryl Tweedy. We've lost our stunning, unique, crazy, quirky, kind and soft-hearted girl. The uh, Irish Daily Mirror concentrates uh, on its inside pages on page 6. On the 27th heaven, the slap on the sun cream headline uh, is there because temperatures are set to sizzle at up to 27 degrees in the Midlands today. Matt Aaron said the best of the heat will be in the Midlands and the south of the country, but enjoy it while it lasts because rain is moving in from tomorrow evening and by Thursday evening showers will be better, uh, will will batter, a bigger part in the country uh, on Thursday evening. Live music and shows returns. They've been waiting a long time for it. We spoke to Justin Green yesterday who said the uh, professional uh, promoting industry can survive at 60%. They need to be way above 80 or 90%. 80 to break even, 90. Above 90 to uh, make money. But pub and theatre goers rejoiced yesterday as live music and shows returned after 18 months thanks to the easing of COVID-19 restrictions. Young Offender star Alex Murphy, who plays Connor in the hit comedy, was among the cast going back on stage at the Cork Opera House for the first day of rehearsals for Philadelphia Here I Come, which opens on October 5th. The email has in some detail the classroom uh, closures. Uh, contact boom, 12,000 children are out of school. Uh, the play rehearsal marking the easing of uh, restrictions also makes the echo. You feel so removed, sing family only on a screen, uh, says Sarah Horgan in the echo as well. A Cork woman impacted by Australian border closures described how restrictions are making Ireland feel, quote, as far removed as a television show, unquote. Lucy Finn is originally from Cork City, now living in Queensland, with her husband uh, Shannon and two daughters said that being able to see her family only on a computer screen has been heartbreaking. The Cork TD that welcomes uh, the arrival of baby Dahi uh, picked this up on social media as well last night. Um, very, very proud dad uh, is Paddy O'Sullivan or Padraig O'Sullivan, the Cork TD. Uh, this isn't the first time I've seen him welcome a baby online and it making the papers. Uh, the family have welcomed the arrival of a baby. Dahi O'Sullivan arrived yesterday at 11.45am weighing in at 8 pounds and 2 ounces. And the new arrival is the third child of the Fianna Fáil TD and his wife, Bernie. So congratulations all around there. The English sailor that fell in love with Cork Town after a rescue from a heavy storm. Neil Michael reporting in the Examiner. Uh, you can see this guy's boat, actually, if you drive from Kinsale out to the... Uh, the bridge that crosses the river there. He's a former rock stage manager and rigger. His name is Pete Currier, and he's on his boat Sea Symphony, which was rescued by Kinsale Ornelli last May. But an English sailor who was dramatically rescued off the Cork coast has decided to live here after falling in love with Kinsale. Pete Currier, who survived 18 hours in a force-eight storm in the middle of the Atlantic on a trip from Grenada, says the experience made him reassess his life. And following his rescue and the kindness shown by locals, he has realised how much he loves Ireland and the people of Kinsale in particular. He's a 68-year-old. He set off for Wales from Grenada in May. He's a former rock music stage and lighting manager, originally going to head straight for Cork, where his three children, Piers, Shia and Cara, uh, from his first marriage live. But he could not sail into Ireland due to pandemic restrictions. So he decided to head for Cardiff instead, and disaster struck. But he's been rescued. He's after falling in love with Kinsale and he's going to base himself out of Kinsale from now on. And we'll take one more story and that is Ireland faces a 9 million euro upfront fee to host Yacht Race. Neil Michael once again reporting in the Examiner. If Ireland is successful in its bid to host the America's Cup sailing event, an upfront fee 
of €9 million is expected to be paid. Sources close to the bid say the money will be payable by whichever country wins the right to host the yacht race. Uh, To the organisers, America's Cup Events Limited, ACE, on the day the successful bid is announced. And this is going to be a huge, huge boon. Uh, Whatever you think of international yachtsmen and international elite sports, this is going to be a tourism bonanza if we do succeed in getting it. I think 17th of the month is when it's going to be announced and Cork is hotly tipped to be the main host venue for the 2024 America's Cup which was held this year in Auckland, New Zealand. So uh, running rec- neck and neck with the Spanish city of Valencia, which, to be fair, has a way more facilities than we have here in Cork at this time. Uh, Valencia has uh, hosted the contest before and already has dedicated infrastructure in place. Uh, and there are two tranches of funding required by the America's Cup. The infrastructure costs to prepare for the event and the organizer's fee. A nice little tidy €9 million. Euro. The Neil Prenderville Show. And you can call the program on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six, and our text and WhatsApp is 0868104106. Now, I want to get to some uh, texts and some emails uh, that came through yesterday. Uh, we are going to talk in a moment to uh, somebody who did text in and was refused entry because of a tracksuit. Uh, but we have a, a text here about gunshots scaring kids. Hi, Mick. We went to a cemetery in Cork on Sunday with kids to visit their babysitter, uh, baby sister that is buried there, baby sister. However, the kids were scared of the loud bangs. People were in the fields around the cemetery shooting pigeons and other birds. The guns frightened the kids. It should be made illegal. Another friend was working up on a farm elsewhere. Hunters were walking around the fields. They were told they were on private land and just la- laughed it off. Uh, confound the government. If you remember the documentary two years ago with the laws and animals and dogs being exported out of Korea and boiled alive, it would turn your stomach. Yet the state does nothing to change anything. However, the government won't ban things like this. It's just not on their radar. And happy 100th birthday. Any chance, Mick, you could mention our beloved mother, Kitty Hulan from Clonakilty, who is celebrating her 100th birthday this coming Friday. Uh, September 10th. She's an amazing woman and is dearly loved by her family and close friends, especially Rose, Chris and Noreen. Uh, from That's from her sons Podrick, daughters Geraldine and Frankie and uh, we also have daughter-in-law Mary, sons-in-law Declan and Con, and all of the grandchildren plus great-grandchildren and that comes in from Podrick. Now yesterday we spoke to Leah who had gastric sleeve surgery and this prompted a call from Linda. Good morning Linda. Good morning, Mick. How, How are, are you? you? I'm great. And yourself? All good. Thank you. Enjoying the sunshine. Uh, great. It's going to be great today. I think it might be the last big, big day of the summer. Did you take a little oh, bit of yes. exception to our call yesterday? Um, I um, I did. I'm, I'm an absolute avid listener to Red FM. Um, but I just, like, I'm a similar consultant first. I'm also a Slimmy World member. Um, I have lost six stone myself, eating healthily, following our plan. Um, it's just... Every time I seem to turn the radio on these days, it's somebody... No, I know it's their own choice. Absolutely their own choice. But it just seems to be everybody's going for surgery. And I get, you know, it's a personal thing. I'm absolutely a nervous wreck getting even a tooth out. But, like, are these are these listeners, you know... are Is Red FM promoting weight loss surgery? Um, no, I, I think I, I spoke to Neil. Spoke to that uh, that lady first, uh, maybe about a year ago, maybe less. Uh, and I know well, the, the last time I was in here, we did speak to her because she was after the weight loss surgery. 
yesterday was uh, kind of just a catch up because she was uh, she was kind of uh, just after a procedure for getting the uh, six pounds of very loose skin uh, taken right. off. So no, we're far from promoting weight loss surgery. I would imagine it's a last resort for people, but uh, one, one that some people do have to take. I know, but you know there is over there are other ways of losing weight healthily. You know, without having to go under general anaesthetic. Um, after losing six to myself, it's just a lifestyle change forever. You know, and I, I know, make no better person. I have tried the quick fix, a hundred percent. I would have, you know, tried every new potion or lotion that would have killed to lose weight. Um, till I found swimming oils, and not only did I benefit, but everybody in my household benefited from me eating healthily. So even for future generations going ahead. You know, is the quick fix the answer? You know, rather than teaching our kids for the future how to eat healthily so that the next generation doesn't have the same mm. issue. I, I know, yeah, and, and you, you said in your text was that, you know, thinking of surgery might be an easy fix. I would say it's anything but an easy fix. It's any operation is going to be risky, any operation is going to have side effects. And uh, especially with gastric sleeve surgery, there, there are long term, lifetime commitments to, uh, you, you know, proper eating. Uh, very, very careful of intake of alcohol. That's not for everybody either. Maybe somebody enjoys a pint. That may not be uh, in their life anymore. Um, so, Oh, I absolutely get it, Mick. And don't get me wrong, everybody to their own. And I'm not knocking or judging anybody for, you know, taking the option of having surgery. But I just want to let others out there know there is another option, you know, besides surgery. Um, and it is a healthy eating plan. Um, and you can lose weight, you know, following the Slimming World Plan. Um, yes, to be fair, we, we've had a lot of people who've had great success on the Slimming World program. Is that what you did, or did you do something else? Absolutely. I have, would have done every other program out there till I found Slimming World myself six years ago when it came to Cork. And then I went on and lost six stone, but I'm, I have kept that six stone off for over five and a half years. Um, but it is just about changing our habits, our eating habits, small, simple steps. You know, we don't have to count calories. We don't have to weigh food. It's just educating ourselves on how to eat healthily. And that's how we get to keep it off as a target member. You know, it's not easy. Losing weight isn't easy. Um, and it does take time for it to come off. You know, it took time for us to put it on. So I just think, that just to let the people, your listeners know, there is another healthy option, you know, without, you know, I just think that, I've heard so many of my own friends, their daughters go for weight loss surgery. And as I said, it is a personal choice. It is, you know, up to them. It's their decision. But just to let young people out there, there's all, or anybody, male, female, is welcome at Semi-Oral. There is a healthier option there, you know. Okay. And one of the interesting parts of, of your text was, and it's very caught my attention actually, was you're a firm believer that we really need to educate our kids to cook. 100%. Um, I would have also studied nutrition besides the world, and that is a huge issue that kids don't know how to cook. Now, I know in some parts of Ireland, um, the, the government has set up schemes where parents go to with their kids to do cooking classes. So you're you're educating them from a very young age that your dinner doesn't have to come out of a frozen packet, you know. And and some people are under the impression that losing weight has to be inexpensive. Um, eating plan. You know, you go into the Aldi's and the Little Tesco's, not promoting any shop, but you can get healthy, fresh vegetables for 39, 49 cents. But it's just, do these kids, do the kids of tomorrow know what to do with these vegetables? 
you know. So as a parent, I mean, my family all now follow the Slimmy World plan and thankfully everybody's within a healthy way. But it's because of when I joined Slimmy World and my cooking skills at home that they went on to their life and now they don't live at home, but they all cook healthily. Um, so I think just for our young kids to learn how to cook and it doesn't have to be expensive meals. Um, so that's our next generation eating healthily because, Nick, obesity levels are at no all-time high and they're even higher now after our, um, our lockdown. I mean, we have members coming through to us. We're thankfully, we're back reopened, um, you know, crying out for help. So, you know... Yeah, I, I would say the number of people going for the gastric sleeve, uh, you know, that's a big, big decision. I would say the number of people compared to, for instance, the number who attend and have success at Slimming World would be minuscule. Uh, and in that sense, you know, in that sense, we spoke to the one or two people that we did speak to because it is of public interest. What do they go through? How restrictive is it? How much did you lose? Uh, and what restrictions or, or conditions are on your life right now? Slimming World, while we're not promoting that either, uh, seems to be the general one that people have most success with in this time. And, and I'm open to correction there if people want to say uh, you know, I've worked with Dr. Ava Orsmond, had great success there. Uh, she'll teach you you can't out-exercise a bad diet. Uh, and um, uh, people like Ian, Ian Murphy in ATP Fitness has has some, some great advice to give people as well. Like, if you're out and you have to make a choice uh, and you don't have a choice but to do something you wouldn't normally do, then make the better choice. Uh, you know, go, go, go for go for a low calorie dessert rather than the high calorie one go for a high protein meal rather than a high carb meal if you're at a wedding or something and I just think you know in Slimmy World we don't cut any food out of the, the picture you know we don't cut out carbs we don't have to count calories um, you're making the healthier choice and I mean that's what really I always say to my members in group it really is going back to where our grandparents would have cooked they didn't have the jars the packets the freezers full of food now I know it is the life we live today. It is there for people, and people are busy working. Um, you can absolutely, ha- you know, make a meal, prepare again. You know, go back to basics. Okay. Save yourself a fortune. That's good, and uh, you know, we will from now now and again be talking to people with gastric sleeve surgery. They are very few and far between, Linda. And as I said, at the very start, make everybody it's their own decision. It's just something that I have a passion about, Slimmy World, because I suppose I went on and lost so much weight myself, and I see so many of our members losing weight just by eating healthily. You know, and they don't have the huge cost and the dangers involved. Okay. Uh, but you, but it, it is your, is it your profession now? You are making money from it, are you? A hundred percent. I'm a Slimmy World consultant, but any Slimmy World consultant can only become a consultant if they have lost their way to Slimmy World. So I'm first and foremost a Slimmy World member, and okay. always will be. Here's a text you might take exception to. The person on the phone is accusing Red FM of promoting surgery, but then she's promoting Slimming World, which is a pyramid scheme based in America that makes a fortune selling their old product. Eat, uh, eat healthy and count calories, and then there's no need to join a club and pay money to get weighed. That's fairly critical of you. I know, but Mick, as I said at the beginning, all to their own, and there are so many different weight loss programs out there. So I'm not saying Slimming World is for everybody. Um, I'm just, you know, there's other programs out there that might suit everyone, but, you know, it's not about calorie counting, um, because the way the plan is designed, the calories are counted for us. It's such an easy plan to follow, um, there's no complications, it's just, you know, follow, you know, have your veg, your, your, your fruit, your, your meat, your chicken, and as I said, everybody's their own. 
And I wouldn't take offence to anybody being critical of Slimmy World because, you know, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of frozen products as well from Slimming World. Aren't they? they are kind of selling their old products. I know Iceland do quite a few of those low-calorie Slimming World products. I suppose Slimming World is around for 53 years in England. It is approved by the NHS. Um, and the, the Slimming World frozen meals would be there as, you know, if you were stuck. And I honestly, I suppose I shouldn't say it, but I don't promote frozen foods. I prefer fresh. Okay, uh, and you, you know, the texts that are coming into us now are just indicative of the fact that weight loss is a huge, huge topic. Always was and always will be. Here's a few. Teaching kids that certain food are sins is not a great concept either, is it, says Anna. Morning, guys. That lady's making a great point on air now, but obviously she didn't listen to Leah's story because she's lost a lot of weight actually doing Slimming World. Also beside other healthy eating options too. And Leah struggled with her weight for 20 years and for Linda to say it's a quick fix is extremely insensitive. Leah had surgery to remove excess skin from weight loss. Uh, absolutely not a quick fix. I know. As I said at the beginning, every single person has the right to make their own decisions about their own bodies. Um, but sometimes, you know, we gain weight and it can be a deep-rooted issue that's deep-rooted in our minds or the back of our brains or whatever. But that problem also needs to be addressed. You know, why Why can't I lose weight? You know, um, what is, is there something stopping me from losing weight? And at Slimmer, we have the tools to help our members dig deep, you know. You're getting the ads and, in, I have to, have to hand it to you, Linda. <laughs> and what are their trigger foods? You know, we all have a trigger food. My own would be chocolate, so I try to avoid it like the plague. Cause all right. Listen, th- 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 thanks a million. We, you, you've thrown up a lot of uh, good discussion topics there. And maybe we'll get somebody on the air to look at those triggers and look at the psychological barriers and the psychological uh, effects, really, that uh, these triggers have and the dependence from uh, maybe deep-rooted things in your youth have for comfort eating or overeating or eating unhealthily. Uh, so it's a fascinating topic and a fascinating arena. Uh, and we thank you, Linda, for your call. I before I go that if members in don't lose weight, they get a refund. Okay, fair enough. Thanks a million. All the best. Now, a a 16-year-old was turned away from a Cork City bar because they were wearing tracksuit bottoms. They just wanted to eat on the outside of the bar uh, and were turned away for wearing tracksuit bottoms. And we'll discuss that next. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at NeilRedFM. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show and good morning to Lisa. Lisa, how are you? Hi, Natalie. How are you going on? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, no problem. You're just uh, you wrote to us to express your dissatisfaction. You went to a bar in town. Let's try not name the bar, will we? And um, you were refused entry, basically. Uh, Yeah. Who who, who was there? Who were you with? So I was with my 16 year old brother, my daughter, and my partner. And it was one o'clock on Saturday, and we just said we had heard great things about the bar with food and things. So we said we'd go and try it out. So. Went up to the door, asked for a seat, and was basically refused entry because my 16-year-old brother was wearing tracksuit bottoms. And that was a bit, like, turned around and basically just said, look, you can't come in with a strict no tracksuit policy. So I was walking away, and my brother turned around to me and he said, how come they're allowed, allowed in, you know? And there was three different tables with three people wearing tracksuit pants. So... I asked to speak to a manager, so the first manager came out, he gave me no satisfaction. I was gone to another manager and he basically said, look, I'll get the general manager. So I spoke to the general manager and he just turned around and said that he'll speak to the maitre d' as to why they were allowed in and we weren't. But I just felt very just 
hard done by really based like I just thought it was very unfair and my brother was very upset like he's a 16 year old boy you know they don't wear much things but tracksuits really you know? exactly and, and were the other people with tracksuits inside or outside the bar they were outside but I asked for a seat outside I asked to be seated outside but just with the baby I didn't want to be making too much noise and things like that inside um, so we said, I asked for an outside seat and there were three tables with three different people wearing tracksuits some people were drinking and people were just having their grub and when I asked why they were allowed in we weren't he just said, oh, he'll have to speak to the maitre d'. And I said, but that's not good enough. I said, why are we being discriminated against? And got no satisfaction whatsoever. So he turned to me then and he said, before we start shouting, I said, listen, I'm not shouting at all. I just, I just felt very hard done by, like, why are, why are they allowed in? And he said, oh, I can't disrupt them. They're having their meals there now. I'll have to wait till they're done. And I said, yeah, that's, and like, I'm not asking you to, to tell people to leave. I just want to know why we were refused. It was just, it was, the whole thing was just embarrassing and it was very upsetting. Well, it's, it seems very needless. It seems needless as well that even if a 16-year-old was wearing a tracksuit, what trouble are they going to cause eating outside? Exactly. What yeah, bad look yeah. are they going to give the bar? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. He did, they, like, they did offer us to come in at the end, but I just felt like I was absolutely humiliated. Everyone was staring, and I just said, you know what? I just don't want to go in. So we just, we just left, went somewhere else, had no bother getting in. I was supporting local business in town as well, like, you know, so I just, I just thought it was wrong. Okay, and your brother had been in there before in that particular was, bar restaurant. Yeah, yeah that pre the, the, the Saturday just before that, he went in with my parents and my daughter, and there was no problem. Was seated, no problem whatsoever. And wearing a tracksuit bottom. Wearing a tracksuit bottom, yeah, yeah. My brother, he always is in tracksuit. He's he's sixteen year old. He's he's always in tracksuit. That's what like, they wear. It is exactly, yeah. You know. So I mean, at, at, at what stage does a bar stop people coming in when the boy is five, six, seven years of age wearing a tracksuit? Why, yeah. why, why, why is it suddenly that a sixteen-year-old can can be deemed not to be suitable clientele for wearing a tracksuit? I just don't know. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I just, I just thought it was very, very wrong. I just think they just they didn't didn't like the look of us, really. If I'm being honest. Okay, I wonder if uh, any other of our listeners uh, had this experience in town. I know that you can be subject to the vagaries of uh, the mood of a doorman or a bouncer, especially you know, in, the, in the nightclub situations, but there's been no nightclubs yeah. now for a year and a half. Uh, yeah. You'd imagine that outdoor dining shouldn't have a dress code as such. Yeah. I mean, okay, you can't maybe rock up topless, but yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> wearing a tracksuit doesn't seem to be a huge crime. Uh, the general manager of the bar spoke to the customer as per her request, and he offered her a table to have food and she declined. So that's the GM spoke to you uh, yeah. at your request, said he offered you a table to have food and you declined then. I did, yeah. Why? Because you felt hard done by or discriminated against? Yeah, I, I just, it, it, was, it was embarrassing if I'm being honest. I just, everyone was looking at us and I just said, you know what, why, why all of a sudden was I refused at the door but when I spoke to the manager I was allowed to come in and have a seat. You know, what's the difference? Do you know, I just... I didn't think it was right. Well, I suppose so you I, asked for the manager to identify the wrongdoing. He saw other people with tracksuits eating at his establishment and said, OK, uh, I'll get you a table, but then it, apparently you refused. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. OK, because you felt hard done by and embarrassed. And, and were you making a scene? He seems to be saying there that, uh, or you said, uh, before we start shouting. Well, why did he say that? Yeah, I think he just thought it was going to get heated because I just I just wasn't letting it go. I just, I, do you know what? My brother was very upset. Like, I just didn't want to let it go. I just thought we were we were completely discriminated against. Like, he was wearing a tracksuit pants. There was three other tables with people wearing tracksuit pants. And, like, the, the manager's answer was, oh, I'll speak to the maitre d' and see why they were left in. I said, yeah, I just want to know why they're allowed in and we're not. But I still didn't get an answer. You know, he offered me a table, but I felt like, why should I go in? Do you know? Took the goodness out of it, really, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Well, listen, thanks for not mentioning the bar. We're going to see if uh, any of our, our other listeners have had that similar experience in town or indeed any exclusion yeah. experience like that for dress code. I, I'm old enough to remember when nightclubs wouldn't let you in if you wore jeans. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> no jeans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, neat dress essential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there was a time when if, if we, you'd have those click things, you know, those studs on the back of your shoes. And, oh, and, yeah. and you'd be walking up like the real hard man. You had to have a black pants. But apparently if, if you had a, a black pants and white socks, you were deemed to be another troublemaker. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. That, that but, but I completely I completely understand if it was 7, 8 o'clock at night, dress code, you know. But he he's 16 years of age. I just I just think it, it was wrong. You're walking around no, town in broad daylight looking to eat outside. Yeah, it seems like to get an overreaction. Eat, you know, yeah, yeah. All right. Listen, Lisa, thank you very much. And um, yeah. I suppose he Thanks won't be going back there, but there's plenty of other places would value That's his custom. It. That's it. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks a million for having me on. Cheers, thank Lisa. You. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to the show in Cork. The Neil Prendeville Show. It's the best in Cork. On Red FM. And a very good morning to you. You can phone the program on 1850 You can text or WhatsApp us on 86 Now, I know it's substantially blown over, but Leo in the park was a big deal yesterday. There was misinformation going around about him taking the government jet, which was way off the mark. Uh, he went over on a commercial flight, paid for his own ticket, apparently, and was on his private time. And that's been uh, very much discussed yesterday. But it did generate a lot of texts to uh, 0868104106. I've no grow for Leo, but to be fair, we don't know the full context of this situation. Maybe this was the first time off he had in a long time. Uh, what if he's having his own personal issues he's dealing with? Mind you, it is a bit tone deaf. We've plenty of things to be mad about. Let's not worry about the one day he got caught picking his nose at a festival. These moments are distractions from the serious problems. I don't care who runs the country if they do a good job. Stop looking at the person and just demand whoever is in power to do a good job. Leo, hi Mick. It's uh, interesting that Leo's private propaganda force, i.e. the Irish press, circle the wagons around their controversial golden goose, declaring that politicians are entitled to their private time when this same Irish press couldn't wait to report on President Trump's golfing trips. Another texture says, Leo knows Michal will do nothing, making him look weak. Uh, but once Leo regains the top job, he'll bring the government down at the first sign of Fianna Fáil indiscretion, making him look strong by appearing to put the nation ahead of his own political power. And for everyone loving Helen McEntee and Mary Lou, how can any legitimate journalist support any politicians who intend to restrict free speech? says Richie in Toker. Mick, we didn't even vote these guys in. All we are doing is paying for elite lifestyles for them. We're a small island country. We have too many in. They are acting in our interests. Uh, probably should read they aren't acting in our interests. We need a new party, not this revolving door. It's unacceptable to keep them in employment. Wake up Ireland, says Shiona. Now, on the topic of driving licenses, uh, 10 weeks now awaiting a driving license, and all I did was add another category. Uh, I rang two weeks ago, and again this morning, each time 30 minutes on hold on the phone to be told we sent uh, an email to process your application. It's being escalated. I'm absolutely fuming over this. 35 euro for a service which is not being provided. Um, I the only case here. Uh, my word, you can get two guards cars to look after a goat. Yet people are being robbed and hurt all over our city and there are no sight or sound of our cops. It would only happen in Cork. What a disgrace. The cops are stopping people from going to their places of worship and enforcing all this crazy stuff because our non-elected government told the guards exactly how to take away our freedom. Yet you'll never find any sight of the cops when you're in trouble. Thanks, Mick. So says a texture. Mick, I know you're talking about breast cancer on the program, but it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You can get breast cancer also as a man. Obviously, it's not as prevalent in men. And speaking of that, we had many, many texts 
on the Claire Hayden interview and in particular the song that she sang piece by piece uh, I also heard it in, uh, in a piece by Paul Byrne on Virgin Media News yesterday evening oh and by the way happy birthday to our long term contributor and colleague from Virgin Media News Paul Byrne I believe it's his birthday today so happy birthday to you Paul on Claire Hayden uh, Mick I don't want to frighten anyone but when men uh, impartially think there is something wrong we tried to bury our heads in the sand and lie to ourselves if we don't get a diagnosis, the cancer will go away, we think. I lost so many people to cancer, just like the last person you were speaking with. I lost our beautiful niece a day before her 34th birthday. She left her beautiful daughter behind her. She fought right to the end. What an amazing lady she was. We lost our father, mother, uncles, aunties. I don't want to frighten anyone, but myself and my wife were both diagnosed together about three months apart. The thing that saved both of us was the brilliant quick work of all the doctors, nurses and the staff of the hospital. Please don't bury your head in the sand. Uh, that time you lose could be the difference between a bad out- outcome and a very positive outcome. Make I'm bawling crying listening to the song piece by piece. I'm going through chemo for breast cancer myself and the song captures exactly how I feel and what an inspirational song. Uh, the lyrics very straight to the point. Great to have a song out there that tells about the story of cancer. It's coming up on a quarter to ten now. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Now, on the topic of women's sizing, always a very sensitive issue for a man to discuss, but here we go. Former Miss Ireland Chelsea Farrell posted in a TikTok video recently about varying clothes sizes in pennies clothes stores. And here's a bit of audio uh, that she posted. I just want to come on and talk to you about something that my mom has noticed and I think is absolutely disgusting. Okay, so as you can all see, every pair of shorts here is a size 12 from pennies, okay? Size 12 from pennies. These four are a denim short mid-rise, the exact same one, all in a size 12. And this one at the back is one from last year. Now, can pennies please explain to me why all of the size 12s are different? So this is a size 12. These are all the exact same pair of shorts in a size 12, but yet there's a massive difference between them all. I've pulled them up where the waistbands are all in line with each other. Look at this. Like, that is not fair. And the problem with this is people who were a size 8 in pennies last year and are now a size 12 or 14 in pennies feel like they've put on weight and it's given them a weight complex. Pennies need to do better. Okay, and we have a statement from pennies which we'll get to in a moment. But Mary Jane is a fashion industry expert and joins us on line 6. Good morning, Mary Jane. Morning, Mick. How are you doing? I'm great. Now, uh, this is kind of a new topic to me. I thought all sizes were standard. I thought a size is a size. I know there's a difference between UK and US shoe sizes. Tell me about the fashion industry. So, I suppose the first thing that you have to say here is that, like, since time began, and I would have worked in a high-end fashion boutique 20 four years ago, and I remember, you know, even as, like, a 16-year-old, you know, being told by the manager of the shop, you know, don't ask anybody when they come in their size. You have to learn to assess what size they are. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, this is so overwhelming. Um, how am I going to do it? And even, you know, 20 odd years ago, you had a situation where sizes dif- differed massively. So, for example, if there was a German label, so this is high end, higher end fashion, we'll say it was like a mother of the bride shop. 
So if if you had someone, say, um, a label from Germany, German women were considered to be taller and broader. So a size 14, we'll say, or a size 12 in German would be different to, say, one of the Japanese labels, which where the women would have been more petite. Okay, well, why is it not a standard size for women all over the world? I that I cannot answer you. Um, they have tried to, um, but, you know, there's been massive um, amounts of discussion about this, um, you know, about why they can standardise sizes and stuff. And, you know, all, all the clothing manufacturers come back with different reasons. They say, you know, that it's subjective. And like, so, for example, if if you look at the, a brand maybe like Levi's or, or Calvin Klein or one of those, like if you're buying a pair of um, Levi's, you'll know that it, you'll know as a man even if you go in that you're a size 30 waist and a 32 leg or you know you're a size 36 36 or you know whatever so that that is from a denim perspective they're all standardized i don't know why the fashion industry hasn't standardized it but it's 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 something that has been going on for such a long time but since the introduction i suppose of maybe fast fashion where you're replicating trends so you're seeing trends that are on the catwalk now so you're seeing the catwalk now. So the spring summer catwalk will be kind of debuting pretty soon for next year. And then the brands are trying to replicate those um, with high turnover in a short time frame to have in their stores at a much cheaper price. So the likes of Pennies and, 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 and Boohoo and brands like that are trying to replicate these brands and get them out as quickly as they can. So unfortunately i think where the where the dip comes is in is in the finish of the product and and, and the the whole concept of you know are we running short on this fabric we need these you know do we make them an inch do we make all of them just an inch smaller and run it off and sell it out and that is i think probably a lot of the time what's happening so we're we're becoming a society that's far more diverse and inclusive and we recognise that things need, you know, that we need to have bigger sizing and bigger sizes, but the fabric isn't representing that, if that makes sense. So, you know, you're seeing now size 18, size 20, size 22 in shocks maybe where you wouldn't have seen them before, but are they really true to size if you were to, if you were to compare it with a, a plus size you know, higher end brand like Marina Realty or one of these. So even if you're a small size or a big size, there's less fabric and there's less attention to detail, I suppose. There's less quality control and there is nobody there standing, taking every single piece like of, of clothing and saying, right, okay, this is a size 12 and it's meant to be a 30 waist. There is no one going through if you're paying eight euro for a pair of shorts. There's yeah. nobody going through. And you're not using a fitting room, just picking them up. And if they're, if they're wrong, you probably bring them back. Uh, we have a statement from Pennies, and they say, everyone is welcome at Pennies, which is reflected in the broad size ranges we offer. Consistency of fit matters as much to us as it does to our customers. We're always working with both our suppliers and technologists in our quality team to track and improve this. We continue to fit our designs using Size UK data as standard but always encourage customers to get in touch with us if they've concerns about sizing and we will happily look into their query. So says Pennies. That's it. And like the thing about it is that um, that um, woman, Chelsea, like she, they were all the same type of fit of shorts. So they were all a mid-rise short. Like it wasn't that someone... Pardon my naivety. What, what does mid-rise mean? 
So, so when you're buying, you say a pair of trousers or a pair, like a pair of denims, you can get low rise, which are ones that will just sit kind of slightly below the hip. You can get mid rise, which will come um, to your kind of belly button, and then you can get high rise, which will come above your belly button. Wow, you live and so, learn, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. So you know, there's diff- there's different styles, but in in to be fair to her, she has really like that TikTok video was so telling because you can see that they're all supposed to be mid-rise, they're all supposed to be a size 12. And now as well, you know, people are so are so concerned about, you know, the quarantine 15 pounds that they put on or or the weight. And, and when you look at pennies as well, you have such a diverse um, range of customers going into the shop. So, you know, you have young girls, you know, who are spending their pocket money or their, you know, their first wage packet in there. You have moms that are, you know, trying to clothe a family or you'll have people that are just looking for something that, you know, that they just want, you know, a piece that they want to just pick up. Sure, but so Ch- Chelsea raises a very interesting point. If, if, if you were a size 12 last year in pennies and now you're not, you're a size 14 or 16, uh, that yes. could give you, you know, certain uh, inhibitions oh. about food or eating properly or dieting or crash dieting uh, and that can't oh, be definitely. right. It can't be right, and 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 the 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 amount of I mean, this is such a, a big topic, you know, body positivity or even body image, especially for young girls where they're consuming so much more of perfection um, than than we would have been in our generation. Make you know where we, where you'd have seen a magazine and you might have seen a, a small bit of airbrushing. Now you know you're seeing extreme photoshopping. You're seeing unrealistic body standards as it is. So, like, you should really be able to feel safe to go in and buy something. But sometimes you could go in and you could pick up two size 12s in the exact same thing and they're different sizes. And one will fit and one won't. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That I ordered from um, one of the websites there. I ordered two dresses and it was the same dress in two different colours. And um, my friend said to me, I wore them. I wore them one day after them. My friend said to me, "Did you put on a different bra with that? It looks different from yesterday." And I said, "No." I said, "It's the same one, but it's 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 just that they're churned out at such a fast rate. There's very little." And yeah, that begs the very so cynical fast. question: if, if if I'm to label something and make it and save fabric, and still get away with labeling it maybe size twelve, on the law of averages, how many people are going to return it at that cost at eight euros? And you get away with, uh, you know, using less material, charging for it. I'm not talking about pennies now, I'm talking about the manufacturers. Uh, And that's kind of a cynical look at it. This is uh, developing a huge number of texts. Uh, It's not just pennies. I've noticed it in most shops. I always used to buy size 10. Now I need 12 or 14, depending on the shop, even though my weight or body shape hasn't changed. If you check the label in the jeans made in Cambodia, it seems to be true to size. But those made in Pakistan or Bangladesh are tiny. I discovered this at the end of last summer. It's very annoying, as I have two pairs of jeans that I cannot wear. I couldn't take them back, as I couldn't find the receipt. So that's uh, that cynical side of things seems to be making a profit for everybody as well. And as well as that, at the moment, like, we can't actually use fitting rooms. So there isn't a facility to use, like, you know, whatever about ordering online. If you're going into a shop, you physically cannot use the fitting room. Like, I know for a fact if I wanted something, you know, if I had an occasion coming up in, in a week and I said, God, I better get something. I will always order two sizes. Always. Because, I, you know, if I want to make sure that it fits me, I'll always order the size I am and I'll always order a size up just in case. I've gone up two sizes in lockdown in Boohoo alone and I've been, I've had my measurements, my weight done in the gym and um, like I only put, I only kind of gained about five pounds in lockdown. Does that make sense? So like I haven't gained two sizes. 
There's no way I've gained two sizes in lockdown because my measurements are the same. But I've gone up two sizes. You know, I've gone up two sizes. So it just. I don't mind it, but I know I used to work with a girl that used to cut the labels out of her clothes and out of her underwear and stuff because she didn't want to be looking at the size that they said that she was. That's very sad, you know. Mm. And they do have they do have a responsibility to their customers to just be transparent about it and say, look, if something runs small or whatever. I know when I used to sell clothing and I, I worked in, in um, A-Work, which was a, an Irish brand, we would say to customers when they were, you know, if they weren't trying them on, we'd say, look, that top runs a bit small because when the stuff would come in, we'd all try them on so that we could advise So you'd customers. know, okay. All right, yeah. I, I got to leave it there, I suppose, for guys out there who are bemused by all of this sizing. It's probably much easier for a man to go shopping. Just, I suppose, guys, beware of that incendiary question that the lady in your life might ask you. Does my bum look big in this? Thanks a million. Thanks, Mary Jane. Bye. Thanks a lot, Nick. Cheers, bye-bye. bye-bye. News at 10 is on the way. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Help, we need a coffee stall. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning, Nick. How are you? I'm very good. What the hell are you looking for a coffee stall for? Are you looking to set up in business or something? No, I'm looking for one for my son's communion, which is this Saturday. And the reason I'm on with you this morning is because we got very late notice. Um, Thursday gone. We were told that the communion was back on. So it's like uh, uh, running against the, the, the clock at this stage now, trying to, to, to organise everything. So the coffee stand is a must because there's a lot of coffee drinkers in the family so it takes a bit of weight off me running around having to do it. <laughs> Being okay. lazy makes to be honest. Is a coffee stall something you've used and employed for kids' parties or family occasions before, Jackie? I, I used this actually for our daughter's communion which was uh, two years ago and it was absolutely fantastic and I went out, down a treat with everybody and the kids because they got the coffee um, Hot chocolate as well, so it was fantastic. And it's just, uh, you, you just keep a tab running and you pay at the end of it all, is it? Oh, you pay at the end, yeah. So t- it's great, as I said, it's just to cover all bases for the kids because should they're after having an awful time with themselves with the lockdown and we kind of, you kind of forget about the kids because you just hate their kids. But it's his communion, so he's he's the baby of the family, so I just want to make it extra special for of him. Course. His cousins and his friends and, and our family, of course. So you just want everyone to have a, a great day. So it's just, it's just, I think, because we had it for our daughter's communion, it really, really was fantastic. So I'm, I'm trying since Thursday um, to get a hold of one, but um, to uh, no avail. So I'm hoping this morning someone is listening and is free. Why are they not available, day. Jackie? Why, why are they all booked out? Do you know what? No, I, I question that myself because when I went uh, looking for the cake as well, uh, every place and I, I phoned a lot of places for the cake and they were all booked out and I actually asked one of the ladies and she was saying that um, they're just up the walls for September with communions weddings um, and I suppose kids parties because I know we can celebrate outdoors now so anyone who can is doing that um, and the best of luck to them as well um, so like that I was just very surprised and I'm after trying a lot of places for the coffee also Um but I really, really like hoping out this morning that 
um, we, we, we'll get someone to smile. Oh, I, think, I think we will. This, this, this radio programme has very far as, reach as and somebody uh, will travel and, and they'll... Where, where are you living? What area? Is it Northside? I'm Northside up in Balivalan. Balivalan. Yeah, and as myself and my husband say, it's done. So this morning is the day that we'll be booking the coffee uh, for all the family. <laughs> and it's going to be great tasting coffee, no doubt. Is that the power of affirmation? We know we're going to get a coffee stall today. Oh, it's done. It's, it's done, done is it? Boom. It's done. It's <laughs> okay. done. And, and what, what, what if that coffee stand uh, came with uh, something like candy floss or smoothies or ice cream as well as the coffee? Will that be a bonus? Brilliant. Brilliant. Bring it on. Bring okay. it on. Maybe not the candy, no, because... Uh, <laughs> There'd be enough sweets for the kids, but uh, everything else, jeez, uh, bring it on, bring it on. Uh, Jackie, a li- little bird tells me that you've been in training lately and that you're going to be climbing the four highest peaks in the country. Four of them in three days. Yeah. Uh, we've spoken yeah. about this already. I've given it a mention for a guy called Kevin Cullinan. Uh, I think you're related. Uh, but uh, yeah, what's, what's the story very quickly and how can we uh, direct people to fundraise for you? Oh, if, if people, because uh, the, the people of Cork City are extremely generous, so if they could all go to the gun, uh, GoFundMe page, it'll be under my husband's uh, name, Paul McCarthy. Um, we're doing it actually Saturday week, um, so at the moment we're we're in training, so uh, 15k last night, and myself and my husband walked around the north side because we're full of hills. So it's a bit of a bonus for us at the moment now because with the communion we're up the walls. But it's a great, great uh, project that's been run up in the north and we're bringing it down to the south ourselves. So um, we're doing the run and the, the GoFundMe page to, to, to help in getting this set up down south and around the country. But there's actually 52 from Cartoon, which is absolutely wow. fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And they're a great, great bunch of people. They're all out training. They're walking mountains every weekend and they're all fundraising themselves. So it's, it's just a great, great cause, uh, Mick, because it's something that's close to all our hearts because, like, as kids went growing up and as teenagers, there was no one kind of there to guide you with mindfulness and teaching you about what's going on in your head. And as a kid, you think that everything that, that is in your mind is your reality where, where it's not. Like, And with the programme, there's, like, three co- core principles the science of achievement, the art of fulfilment, the emotional mastery. So it's tools for the kids to go out into the world and... And to get on with life. And I suppose they need that now more than ever. Oh, Uh, God, they do, Mick. They do. They really do. And it's to give them goals and to help them to reach their goals and to believe in themselves and that everything and anything is possible in life. And, And not like... Because sometimes, unfortunately, as teenagers and because of social media what they read on their phones and what their friends are saying, they think that's real when it's not. Like, and because like with these three core principles, like they'll get more meaning and purpose in their lives. Wow. They'll also be able to control how they feel and they'll also be able to, to go out and set goals and to challenge. And like They're set with many challenges and faced with many challenges in, in life. Mix. So with, this, with these tools, like it's a six-week program and... They're, they're set up for life, mate, because as I said, many of us, if we had these tools as teenagers, I'm sure like our lives would have went different directions in the sense of how we felt about ourselves. So people can go on to the, the GoFundMe um, app and look for the Super U project and support those 52 people from Cork. It's in the meantime... The four, high, the four highest peaks, and it'll be under, look for Paul McCarthy, GoFundMe, the four highest peaks and the Super U project, yeah, and it would be great if people could... Uh, 
could uh, help us out and donate because they're helping their own kids as well. All right. So it'll be absolutely fantastic. Well, in the meantime, the kids will be impressed if you get the positive affirmation and get that coffee stall sorted oh, today. Oh, it's so. done. Make it <laughs> done. I, can, I, I know it's done. I can, I can, I'm already accepting the phone call that it's done and setting up a time for them to call to the house. It's done. Okay. Boom. We'll update the That's listening public it. before 12 midday as if, if we're successful Thanks in getting you one. Much. Thanks, Thanks Jackie. Much All the best. Thanks Thank for your you. time. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. 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 Now, let's go to line two and to William. Good morning, William. Completely different topic. What do you want to talk to us about? Hello, Mick Mulcahy. It's pleased to meet you. How are you? Uh, my name is William. There's bungalows here in my place in Corrigan Estate, and I can't understand why the council don't give the families the bungalows. They're idle. They're, there's not much work to be done tomorrow, I could see, and they should put them into it. Okay, so two bungalows. How long have they been boarded up for? Well, they're not boarded up. There's one idle over two years, and the other one is coming up a year at Christmas. But I do voluntary work for the National Council for the Blind in Ballyfihan. And for the last two years, I passed the Ballyfihan Road, and there's a bungalow there as well, and it's there about over two years as well. Wow. Okay. I know yeah. there are individual units, and there are probably individual reasons as to why they're not being done up and given out. But there are two in particular, saying, in the Curraheen area. Curraheen Estate. Curraheen Estate. Estate, yeah, there's two. I come down the hill in the morning, and I see the two bungalows. And, you know, there's a lot of, there'd be a lot of um, single women or people that would, that, would, that would appreciate them, if you know what I'm saying, Kate. And are they uh, corporation properties? Oh, yeah, they would be corporation. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I, I have a corporation bungalow myself. Okay. I'm wheelchair myself, so I have my bungalow. I have my now nearly done up because I use a wheelchair to get about. So they're just finishing the kitchen for me down at the moment. So um, I have my own entrance. They had to widen the door so I could get the chair in and they had to widen all the doors in the house. And um, it's a great job now what's done. So it, is, it makes life a lot easier for me. But uh, the bungalows are idle. I'm sure... I'm sure families would take up those bungalows if they if they were given. And they're bungalows, you say, with ramps. So are they maybe designed for? There's uh, bungalows. There's there's no the two bungalows that are there. There's ramps in them. Now they will be ideal if someone have a disability or a wheelchair, maybe or very badly on their feet that are not able to walk properly. If you know what I'm saying, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, they'd be ideal for them. If they, I'm sure there's people out there that would that would take them bungalows. But should di- disability or not, the, the ramps aren't going to be a huge impediment, even if you don't have a disability. They're an advantage, no, I, the, I guess, if ramps, you do. The ramps are an advantage. They're an advantage because, like, if you were, if you had a buggy, you'd be able to just wheel it straight into the into the bungalow. Yes, never thought of that. Yeah, oh, like, a buggy. Oh, yeah. yeah, you sound like a very positive, full of energy person, William. From the second you came on, I could tell that. Well, um, I have a disability, as I said. Like, and um, I um, I go out every day. I do a lot of voluntary work as well. So uh, I lost my wife there a few years ago. She died there of cancer. So I don't stay in the house all day. I like getting out and about and helping other people out and doing things like that. Sorry to hear about your wife. And fair play to you for getting up and getting on with life. Well, I mean, Mick, like, you know, I have this, as I said, I, I was telling Emma there, uh, my legs now, I have polio and I got severe arthritis. But uh, unfortunately, the arthritis has got worse than the leg. So I had pain management and I got two free days of pain. So I'm back now to where I started again. The pain is still there, but I just get on with it. That's all you can do. Okay, well, let's see if we can find out why those two bungalows with ramps uh, are not being given out and haven't been for the last couple of years. Uh, well, fair I mean, f- like, uh, as I said, I let you go in. As I said, like, there's surely God, there's, there's people crying out there for a house. They take anything if they got them. Yeah, I'd say they would. William, thanks a million, and keep doing what you're doing. Okay, Mick, and it's a pleasure talking to you. And likewise, sir. Thanks a million. Thank you very much indeed. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. What a lovely, positive gentleman. Now, on the subject of clothes sizing, just a reminder to some of you that not everyone can afford to buy more expensive clothing. 
and this sizing issue is not limited to fast fashion. So maybe be kind to those who buy pennies and are struggling with body image and possibly even eating disorders, says Merle by text. That's so you that that's so you buy the jeans and either don't bother to return or can't find the receipt to return and you just buy another. Uh, it's all about tactics, says Liz. Uh, I noticed this issue the other day. I got a size 10 in jeans. I was a size 8 and even the size 10 didn't fit. Uh, I had to get a size 12. It's the same with a denim dress. It's ridiculous, says Kathleen. Uh, if people think they put on weight, surely they can just weigh themselves. I'm not being flippant, as outlandish as it sounds. That must be uh, the way to go. Keep weighing yourself and you know your size. So says Kevin. And uh, a kind of thought entered my head that isn't it the opposite? Uh, whatever about adult fashion, isn't it the opposite when it comes to babies? How many mums' vanities and dads' vanities have been played to by the fact that... when well, You know when you meet somebody with a new baby and it's a month or two months old... And you say, no, they're thriving, they're looking great. Oh, I know. Yes, they're in three to six months already. Or they're in six to 12 months already. And I reckon those labels are being overstated uh, to give pride to the parents and make them feel like they're good, doing a good job. Would you agree? And maybe it's not such a bad thing if that is the case. Now, we have uh, some text to get through. I want to get to, this is a lighthearted topic uh, about naming cars. I know Neil may have touched on this before he went on his halls. Uh, my first car was a blue Nissan Micra. Her name was Betsy Blue. I love that car, says Shirley. Do you name your car? one eight five oh one oh four one oh six by text if you do. We'd love to hear from you. I had an orange Mini Cooper convertible, which was called Tango. And later I had a red Mini Cooper, which I called Isolin. It's a Scandinavian girl's name. I miss both of them very much, says Christine. My best friend has a Yaris, and he asked me to come up with a name. She's called Yasmin, so says Sive. I called my my car Care Baby. Not very exciting, unique, but it works for now, says Julia. I had, and I have had, uh, a cars named Betsy, Bertie, Chloe, Dee Dee, Zola, Daisy, and Geordie, which was an 08 Honda Civic with the horrible lights that looked like Geordie LaForge from Star Trek. I currently drive a Lola, uh, says Caroline. Uh, doesn't say what kind of car it is, but it's called Lola anyway. I had a car called The Beast. It was a Nissan Navara. I loved it. Favorite car I ever owned. I had it for 17 years says Claire. Dolly the Yaris, Polly the Pollutant Polo, and Ariel the Aurus, uh, says Danny. I got my new car this week. My kids have named it Carlita. It's a character, character, from their favourite Netflix show, says Vicky. I had a black convertible and we called it Beyonce because she had a big booty. Very, very clever. So says Linda. My current car is Johnny, Johnny Cashkai, says Orla. I had a Renault Megane once. I called it Madeline said Gary. Maisie the Micra, Darcy the Dacia, says Denise. Gwenda and Cyril Francis uh, is uh, other names for cars and one final one. My first ever car was a Daihatsu Charade back in the 80s. Remember them? And I nicknamed it the Brown Bomber. It caused me so much heartache, mechanics-wise, but I had some funny memories of spins in it with family and friends, says Deirdre. How attached do you to your car? Do you name your car? Please let us know on one 850 Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And with a variety of topics to cover over the next uh, 30 minutes or so, we are here for you, whatever's on your mind. Uh, 1850-104-106 by phone or 086-8104-106 by text or by WhatsApp. And Tom is concerned with cyclists on the footpaths. Good morning, Tom. Morning. Well, okay. I'm not concerned about it. I'm angry about it. Okay. 
Tell us all about it. You say, well, well, I don't obviously I don't have to tell you about it because you know about it. Everybody that ever walked down through the streets of Cork witnessed it and can witness it now this minute. These monsters of bikes flying through people on the footpaths. Now, I pay, like everybody else, I pay my road tax, I pay my insurance, my NCT, spend about 1,400, 1,500 euros a year on maintenance on my car, right? Mm-hmm. Yet I can't park on the footpath, and I can't drive on the footpath. I'm not allowed but these vehicles are. Now, they don't pay any road tax. Uh, and it's not just bikes, I imagine, Tom. There's kind of skateboards and uh, these little scooters as well. They push along scooters. Skateboards aren't so much. Skateboards aren't so much the problem because you can hear a skateboard coming. I'm hearing impaired. Eh? I don't hear these bikes coming up behind me. Well, you won't hear an electric scooter either. You won't hear an electric scooter. There's few of them. There's not as many of them. I'm talking about big monsters of bikes. And let's face it, if somebody bumps into you on an electric scooter, it's going to cause you less pain probably than more because they'll probably fall off down the ground. But anyway, it shouldn't be allowed anyway, regardless. Like, when I go into town tomorrow morning, at some stage I go into town tomorrow, I park my car. I'm a little witness when I'm walking around town. There's bands of these guys going around with their cameras, taking photos of the cars, putting tickets on cars that aren't parked properly or don't have the proper criteria up and down screen when they're parked. You see nobody taking any notice of these fellas sighting on the footpath. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Patrick Street, two Gardy walking down by pennies. One of these guys came up with this big blue bag on his back, flew through the two yards. They actually had to separate and move over the way and kept going. Did they even look back at him? No. But my advice to people out there, when it does happen, out of it's already happened, sue the Cox City Council because it's their responsibility. They are not doing anything to stop it from happening. Is it Cork City Council's responsibility or the Guardies? Well, uh, primarily it's the Cork City Council because footpaths and roads are Cork City, are Cork City Council property. The, the, the city manager was able to stop traffic going through Patrick Street at a certain time of the day because they are the sole owners of the road so they could just stop it. So they're responsible. Sue the city council. And once enough people sue the city council, they won't be long doing something about it. Yeah, okay. I wonder is there a bylaw that prevents people from cycling on footpaths? Of course there is. Of course there is. It's called a pavement. Or a sidewalk. Or a footpath. It's not called a bicycle path. I I just hands in the suburbs too like I was going for my walk the other evening and the Cox City Council our county council I'm not sure which because we moved into the city where I'm living now from the county spent a lot of money creating bike lanes protective bike lanes with these bollards 
down the side of him, all down Ballancarry down as far as Paul Levon round about. So I'm off on my walk the other evening, and these two Muppets come up against me, cycling on the footpath, despite the fact that their own private area for cycling is down next to them. Did you stop them? Did you challenge them? No, no, well, the lady Muppet actually got onto the cycle path. The other guy thought he'd be the macho man and keep going. So I just stopped. And he went to cycle to the left of me, so I moved to the left. Right. He said, have you got a problem? I have. I said, you're on the footpath. I said, footpath. For feet, not for bikes. On a bike, Get into the cycle lane, I said. That's what it's there for. What did he say? Said, there, are, there are elderly people, I said, walking along here. This is their walk, I said. And there's no need for you to be cycling there. You have, you have an area here to cycle. But that's neither here nor there. The real danger is in the town. I was in Dublin on Sunday. You don't see it in Dublin. You do not see it in Dublin. You see a little bit of it but nothing like you see in Cork. Where's the worst areas in Cork then? Is it Patrick Street or the, the side no, streets, Oliver Plunkett Street, Princess Street? No, Winthrop Street. Winthrop Street is a nightmare. Okay, it's fully pedestrianised, yeah, of course. A, it's not a very white street. And there's food emporiums, like you have the Long Valley and you have O'Brien's and you have... McDonald's? The, yeah, no, you have McDonald's, see? Oh, you do, of course. Yes, sorry, you do, yeah. I never think about that place. Yes, you do. Do you have a few food emporiums, yeah? So there's always people going and coming. Also, there's a thoroughfare between Oliver Plunker Street and Patrick, and Patrick Street. Street. Yeah, so yeah. Let, let's, let's, let's find out if there are bylaws attached to illegally cycling on footpaths. Is, is there a censor? Sure, uh, you know, can, can people be fined if, uh, if, if they're caught there? Have the guards the... You know, have they the inclination to follow up on it? Is, is it something that they can't control? They can if they want. They can if they want to. Because as I said, look, the very warding of it. I can't put my car, my car as a vehicle. A bike is a vehicle. I can't park my car on the footpath. I can't drive my car on the footpath. Those are both vehicles. And the whole thing is that a lot of these things are just bordering on being motorbikes. So, some of them are, are, are very discreetly electric as well. And, and you'd never know because they just look like an ordinary bike. Tom, le- we'll let it there and see what our listeners say about it, all right? Okay. Thanks a million. Thank a very good point well made there by Tom. Cyclists cycling on the footpaths, very dangerous. Someone could be killed. Seems to be getting worse. The bikes are getting bigger. They're getting faster. They're getting more electrified. Uh, someone's going to get a clatter one of these days and get killed by one of them. On to a different topic on line four. We have Sarah. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm very good. Now, you're not the only one, but let's hear your story. You can't get swimming lessons for your seven-year-old. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. Um, as I said, I was on yesterday and um, I rang around a good few places. Now, with the swimming pools and places that are doing the lessons in the hotels, absolutely, they have to kind of operate on a lower capacity basis now. And they're obviously taking all the kids that would have been on the list, we say, prior the lockdown and things like that which is they're on the list now first come first serve which is totally understandable the pools are full and the hotels are full and they're just you know operating on very lower numbers now again and it's totally not their fault they're only following the guidelines 
But when I went back to kind of yesterday, just looking around and trying to get the few swimming lessons and trying to, you know, secure something or anything, they said the waiting list was 2022 to 2023. Wow. So it would be that kind of a time frame I'd be looking at. And then I rang a few hotels. Again, not the hotel's people's fault. They're only doing what they're told again with COVID guidelines. And I was told that they're only operating on a member basis only. And um, we say people that are guests in the hotel, they have access to the pools and that's it. Now, there are, I think, two pools, local pools that kind of are open to the public, but the times are very limited as well because of the numbers again. But it's obviously something that we want to get sorted for our son, you know, obviously at that age, they need to be swimming and need to be kind of having lessons. But trying to secure something or get, the way, as I said, the waiting lists are two to three years long. Uh, as an island nation, I think swimming lessons should probably be part of the, yes, the school curriculum. Uh, and it, it and probably are, is in, in, in most they schools. They are, but they're probably cancelled now, Mick, over COVID. And yeah. they're probably cancelled over, um, you know, kind of, I suppose, the schools and classes, uh, big numbers all over. And I suppose they probably can't take those numbers now in pools. And everything is set back. Again, not the school's fault, not the pool's fault, because they're only operating on what they're being told yeah. to. I, I think gyms, but more, in, more, more particularly leisure centres that might have a gym and a pool are operating on restricted uh, capacity. Yeah, uh, then yeah, then yeah. Pri- priority is given to hotel families, I guess. And then the hotel, yeah. And then obviously if you're staying in the hotel, of course, you want to be able to go for a swim and have that space available to you. But just for the person on the other, when the shoe's on the other foot and you're just trying to go to sure. the local pool even for an hour, because I was saying that was the idea, just to maybe bring him one day a week myself. You know, just to kind of get him used to the water and kind of maybe, you know, while the waiting list, while his name was on the waiting list, but even to try and get to a pool now on a one day, even weekly basis is nearly close to impossible as well. Well, I notice about the hotel pools is that the hotels seem to be sending the residents there on the hour. Uh, they're not changing or bringing their kids to be changed uh, in the uh, the standard dressing rooms. They're more or less ready to go when they... Go when they the yeah, room, yeah. yeah they they change in their rooms. Uh, yeah. they, they dry off a little and they, they may be under yeah. a towel get changed before they go back but then yeah. they all go back to their rooms uh, and get changed for breakfast and, and there. it's, yeah. there's yeah. an awful lot of children exactly. in the pools early in the morning now so I think it's kind of a pre-breakfast thing that the hotels are pushing that's it kind of book in and book your slot again totally understandable and they're only been they're only kind of operating on what they've been told as well and following the guidelines but my concern is here like a seven year old they need to be having lessons they need to be able to learn how to swim they should know how to swim by a certain age and it's just very important and it was just scary yesterday when I was kind of looking over the last few days and getting that feedback and then getting the waiting list of 2022 2023 I was like oh my god this is scary you know yeah we we all grew up in a, I think in a, in a time where swimming lessons were not just a treat uh, they really did set you up for competition and for uh, water sports and for everything else. It's a great skill to learn, but the earlier you learn it in life, uh, the more enjoyable and more safe you can be in the water. Exactly, exactly, and they're easier to learn when they're that bit younger as well, and their confidence. And you know, it's better for them all around and better for the kids. You know, as I said, I was on like yes, I know, in fairness, and a lot of the people I did speak to, they were really lovely and. You know, they were kind of explaining what their situation was, and that was the list, unfortunately, and that was the time frame. Yeah. I said, oh my God, he'd be 12, 13 by the time he learned how to swim properly, you know? 
I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? But like, again, Mick, I just, if there's anyone out there, if there's any, you know, retired instructor, instructors or anyone, you know, working on the side or anything like that, that would be willing to do a few swimming lessons or meet in the pool one day a week, I'm up for it. I'm All right, let's put it out willing. there and see if there's anything yeah, we definitely. can do there. All right. Thanks, so Thanks a million, Sarah. Thanks. Bye bye. And of course, it's important to get lessons at a very young age and for water safety. And one of the tireless campaigners for water safety joins me on the line now, Amanda Cambridge. We've spoken before. Uh, you're a water safety campaigner. You very tragically lost your beautiful boy, Avery. I'm sure people will remember it's not a very common name. Uh, but uh, when Avery was lost in that swimming accident in Spain just two years ago. Uh, welcome to the program again, Amanda. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, it's not good enough, I suppose. We do need swimming teachers. It's an essential skill. Uh, water safety is, you know, it, water safety is being championed, um, e- even in government missives and government uh, advertising, uh, being safe in the water. How can you be safe in the water if you don't have access to swimming lessons? Well, you know, that's it. And, you know, and it, it warms my heart, you know, when I hear that swimming lessons have been booked out and they, you know, uh, parents have taken the initiative to get their children into the water and teach them how to swim and uh, but then it is obviously disheartening when you hear stories like Sarah's that her seven year old can't get into a class um, and you know I've gotten text messages you know do I know anybody and phone calls you know they're, the rates have gone up they're too expensive and and what I've been just suggesting is exactly what Sarah has said pick one day a week you know bring your toddler your child to the pool and teach them you know the basic skills of the safety of the water you know we teach our children our ABCs and our one two trees before they start school so before they start swimming get them into the pool you know teach them the safety you know your life jacket your life vest not to go near the edge of the water how to enter and exit uh, a pool safely and um, yeah if there's any swimming instructors out there you know that want, you know, a little hustle on the side. There are so many parents crying out for their children to learn how to swim because it is a life skill and, you know, our our, our children are dying. Uh, We've seen there over the summer, over the span of a week, there was a drowning a day. You know, there was in in one week and it was just absolutely tragic And and even that, the best swimmers can drown. You know, swimmers can drown. It's about having respect for the water and knowing knowing uh, how good of a swimmer you are and knowing your depth and, you know, being so vigilant around water, lakes, parks, pools, paddling pools. Um, yeah, so it, 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 it it's kind of a, a flip of a coin. Uh, parents can obviously, for their, their young children, if you can't get them into swimming lessons or the pool, pop on to holdhands.ie and, you know, we have all our storyboards there for preschoolers. And yeah, I, I, have, I have to salute your courage in, in coming out and not crawling into your shell, as it were, following the uh, absolute devastation uh, you and your loved ones have faced with the loss of Avery. Uh, and in Avery's memory, to have you come out and do this and uh, helping Water Safety Ireland launch the Hold Hands uh, campaign is very, very encouraging because you're encouraging all children to, to think about, to talk about water safety. And we've had a year of essentially swimming pools being closed, no swimming lessons. So tell us a little bit about holdhands.ie. So Hold Hands, it, it's geared for, you know, um, children of Avery's age. Uh, Avery would um, have been five this year. He drowned when he was three. 
Um, he was due to start swimming lessons in the September, uh, but two weeks beforehand, unfortunately, he walked out of our apartment in Spain, uh, decided to go down to the pool and unfortunately drowned. Um, and there was there was a drowning before Avery and there was a drowning after Avery and they were all the same age and they were boys and, you know, curious, loved, loved water. And that's how the kind of the whole hold hands came about. It's all storyboards for children geared for that age, you know, and it's not just a pool you can drown in. You can drown in a lake, you can drown in a river, a puddle, a bat. And all these storyboards are geared around that. You know, we have the beach, the pool, the home. Um, and you can sit down and, you know, there's little boys and little girls and, you know, they're always with a parent. They always have their life jacket on. They always have their armbands on. Uh, you know, if their toy floats away, just let it go. Don't go after it. So it's all the basic skills that you need to respect water and have confidence around water and then obviously that's on the dry and then you get them into the water and you teach them their strokes and you teach them their breathing and you know it is a life skill I just think it's as important as reading and writing and I wish to God that I took that initiative when Avery was here I did uh, I was going to but I just left that little too late uh-huh. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, um, we are one of many families of, you know, a drowned toddler and that's something that we have to live with every day. And, you know, he, I get flashbacks and, you know, I, I can't go, you know, myself, I can't go into the water, I can't go near a pool, you know, that's that's my trigger. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not something... It's not something that I want other parents to suffer and other parents to... And that's really the big heart of nature of what you're doing. Even though you can't go near a pool yourself, you're helping Water Safety Ireland to potentially save other lives on holdhands.ie. Yeah, and well, in fairness, now I went up to Heaton's there now uh, on Saturday and I bought myself a new hat and new summer dogs. So it is on my list of things to do to, you know, you know, to take that first step to get in to, and to be able to go into the water with the two girls that I have here because uh-huh. they absolutely love the water. They love to swim. Um, so, yeah, that, you know, that that's what I would say. Book yourself in, even if it's for half an hour, even if for 20 minutes, throw on your togs buy yourself a hat and get into the water with your children. Teach them the basics and then, you know, you can wait for your swimming lessons and hopefully, you know, with Sarah and myself being on today, that more people will, you know, lifeguards will come forward, you know, and say, you know, I have a spare Saturday, I'll be able to take, you know, I'll be able to take a few um, families with young children and, and teach them the basics. Brilliant. Let, let's do it for the kids of Ireland. Let's, let's get those lifeguards out there, those swimming instructors, even if it's a just to cobble together non-official time in the pool, uh, even if there was three or four lifeguards or swimming instructors around five or six families who go to their local pool uh, and do it a kind of an impromptu, not formal uh, setup, you know. Uh, let's see what yes, happens. Definitely. Yeah, but look, you're you're, you're honouring Avery's memory and uh, you're keeping uh, his name out there uh, by helping. You know, it's very bravely helping when you can't even face water yourself. Uh, so Thank once again, you. Amanda Cambridge, water safety campaigner, uh, we recognise your loss. We're so sorry and we do salute all the effort you're making on behalf of others. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks a million. Cheers. Bye bye. 16 minutes to 11 o'clock now. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red FM. And Neil returns from holidays next Monday morning. This is Mick Mulcahy. And I'm uh, going to speak now to Senator Jerry Buttimer, uh, who wants to jump to Leo Varadkar's defence. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. good. Now, I have uh, you back on the radio. This is you, right? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a change. I, I, I'm glad I'm not here full time. It's uh, something that I gave up years ago. But it, <laughs> it, it's great to come in and, and keep the hand in and get to talk to people as we do. You know, one thing uh, I have the uh, the blissful ignorance of much things in in the world of political life and the cut and thrust of the intrigue of political life when I'm not doing this program. But you're uh, you're kind of finely tuned to it. Uh, when this program is impending or when you're in the middle of doing it. Uh, and I must say, I'm always entertained uh, by the, you know, the the cut and thrust. The last time I was here, the second last time I was here, uh, of course, it was that event that you attended. And that took a long, long time uh, to, to die down. I don't want to harp on there now. But has too much been made of Leo Varadkar's attendance at a UK music well, festival at the weekend? I, I, I think part of what we must talk about as a society is that we're now living in a digital age which has magnified events and participation in events, no matter who you are. Um, and in the case of public figures, whether it's in the case of Leo Varadkar or in the case of Michal Martin or in the case of a sportsperson or a public or a broadcaster, uh, they are now classified as public figures and of public interest. To me, there is a balance that must be struck between the right to information and privacy. And as you know, from your days uh, of full-time broadcasting, uh, privacy is a fundamental human right. Um, and, and I do believe that in the context of the Leo Varadkar story at, at the weekend, uh, it, it was, uh, you know, it took many different legs. Um, and we live in a social media world. Um, not, least, whole, not least of which the Tornister was wrongly accused of taking the government jet over there. Well, well, therein lies part of the story that I was going to say to you that, you know, first of all, you know, you had the story of the government, Jess, then you had the picture being shared, then you had the, 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 the ongoing commentary on social media. And, and, you know, there comes a point where, you know, we need to have a, a discussion as a society about living in a digital age and what does that mean and what are the inputs and what, 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 are, the, what are the consequences of that. Um, you know, and, and to me, listen to your contribution yesterday of your, of your contributor, it, it was a very one-sided, you know, um, debate by him uh, on this. I mean, Leo Varadka has been a champion of the entertainment industry. He has been very strong in his support of and the need to have it reopened and it coincided last weekend with, with, with the, you know, the, the, the reopening of the entertainment industry. So for me, the question I'm posing this morning and, and in the wider thing is that, you know, privacy is a fundamental human right. You know, living in the digital age, you know, it gets everything gets magnified. You know, whether it was in your old days, you know, doing your wind-ups to, to, to today, whatever. You know, so, like, it, it is about ensuring that, that you know, uh, we do allow members of, 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 of the political establishment, uh, broadcasters, sports people, downtime, private time. Um, and, and, you know, that's the debate I'd like to see happen. Okay. Now, the Tornister faced criticism yesterday, particularly from Justin Green, who's in the events and promotion industry, uh, because of the kind of insensitive way it was perceived. And that was, you, you know, you can't call Britain's reopening a bad example. And then before Ireland even opens and you're making the rules, go over to, uh, you know, it's a fully 
Um, it's full contact, no masks, 100% capacity, uh, you know, while advocating something else in your own home country. That's, that's, well, that's why the industry was a bit perturbed on it. And, and the industry, you know, have been the last industry to recover. And, and I understand, and I've met with many people here in Cork who are involved in the industry, uh, whether they're the organisers of events, whether they're the sound engineers, whether the people who are, you know, involved in, in the organisation of an event and, and to the performers. And, and, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a very successful kind of outdoor uh, co- concert with limited capacity uh, as part of Heritage Week in, in Ballinlock Park, in Ballinkai Regional Park, up in the north side in Ballyvalan uh, and over in Fitzgerald's Park. And it was wonderful to be able to go and, and hear music and performers you know, taking part. I suppose the thing I would say, Mick, is that in the context of the event industry, Leo Varanco has been a champion, the advocate, along with Catherine Martin, at government of reopening. Government have given $100 million in, in financial supports to the industry, rightly so, along with the EWSS and the, the pandemic unemployment payment. In the case of Leo Varanco, he, he was in the UK on, 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 on private time. He did lead a, day, a trade delegation on Monday, yesterday. Um, events are allowed. He, you know, he, he didn't, um, you know, break any laws by going there. I would say that in the context of Ireland, it, it coincided with us reopening. If, as many people were, were on about Electric Picnic, he, he was the one member of Cabinet who said that Electric Picnic should go ahead. Um, and I suppose therein lies a question that we need to address in the context of, of events. Um, I was in Crow Park with, with, with some people at the All-Ireland Hurling Final. Uh, there was condemnation of that our Ireland final having the capacity number that it had versus the entertainment industry having nothing. And, and I would make the point that, yeah, it, it's very hard to distinguish between the Ireland hurling final at one level and, and a concert in Crow Park at, at, at a different level. I think Boldham could have gone ahead. Neffet made their decisions with government in terms of the, the restricting and the easing of restricting of, 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 of um, restrictions, rather. And that's, you know, happening. And we've seen the events this week, you know, where we've seen the reopening of the country further. And that's a positive for all mm. of us. Very hard when you see brass and reed bands not being allowed to congregate and gather. Uh, and uh, there's also a rule that no live music happens in front of more than 200 people. To watch the Artane Boys Band play in front of 40,000. So Absolutely, and I and I don't and I don't disagree with that from you, Mick, at all. I think it, there is there is there is that need now to reopen the country further, and and hopefully from the 22nd of October we will see that. So why why why, why Jerry not leave uh, an industry that cannot make money at 60 percent capacity, operate at 100 percent capacity for vaccinated only people for for the next seven weeks before October 22nd? And, and I, I don't have a difficulty with that, but. It, Public health guidelines and public health advice obviously trumps everything else and, and government act with effort in making decisions in the phase reopening the country. And I have huge sympathy uh, for those working in the events industry. I, I know many of the, of the people personally and I know many of the entertainers who, who have been starved of, of, of work and who've been starved of performing. Uh, and I know people involved in choirs who can't get together, who haven't been in a, in a choir room or who haven't been in the band room since the pandemic started and it's very difficult and equally you can make the same thing in terms of dance classes indoors for, for, for young performers as well so hopefully we, we are seeing the, re-emer- the reopening the re-emergence of the country on a phase basis uh, and, and that will continue from October 2nd where we will I hope be able to see our country fully opened and being able to see events take place in, in a controlled manner where we can all you know have different 
activities opened fully and that's what we all strive for and, and everything is dictated by public health as you know uh, and it is hard to make a distinction between a hurling match in Crow Park and a concert in Crow Park I accept that fully Okay, now your colleague Simon Coveney is, is, is right now live uh, before the Oireachtas Joint Committee on Foreign Affairs and Defence. Do you want us comment on uh, the whole Zappone melodrama, as they're calling it? Well, I think to be fair to Simon Coveney, he's a person I've worked with for 23 years. He's a person of absolute integrity and probity. He's acted in the in the, in the common good at all time. Uh, he's accepted that the, the, some of the handling of the Zappone appointment should have been done better. He's before the committee this morning and he's answered questions that I've seen very clearly and very cogently. Uh, but I think those of us who know Simon Coveney will recognise that he's a first-class politician. He is he's motivated by the by the good of others and by the um, by serving others. Uh, and his and as a member of the LGBT community, I can tell you that across the world there are people today who are struggling, who are persecuted for being gay. And the appointment of an envoy, in my opinion, is a good one. We've seen the Biden administration. Um, Appoint one other countries in in the case of the UK, Nick Herbert, the former Tory MP, is an envoy. I'm, I'm not disputing uh, the fact, Jerry, that that one should be appointed. I'm not disputing the fact that Catherine Zappone may have made a very very admirable envoy or envoy for Ireland. But it's just the cosy cartel, to use uh, Michael Lowry's expression. The way it was kind of done, uh, you know, all sorted, not in a wink before anyone even knows about it. That's that's really what the issue here is: the high standards or the low standards, apparently, in high office. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it's uh, not in the wink, you know, Bob's your uncle, who do you know? We'll get it sorted. Well, I think, to be fair, we all recognise the process could be handled better, but Simon Coveney is motivated, as I said, and he was director of elections for, for the marriage equality referendum. He understands full well uh, the, the needs of LGBT people across Ireland and across the world. Uh, his motivation was 100% honest and sincere, uh, and, and he accepts, and we all accept, the process could be handled better. And I think the important point, because we learn from the mistake of the handling of it but I think those of us who know Simon Coveney will recognise that he is a first class person What will we see here today Jerry? Will we see an apology a commitment to move on to do things better and hopefully put it behind everybody is it? Well well, he has apologised for the bit I've seen before you came to me uh, and he's been very clear in his answering of the questions in terms of of, of the interactions Um, and and I I would hope Mick and and Neil in his programme before he went on holidays had a member of had a, a, a mother of a young child on in terms of you know bullying and, and, and across the world there was persecution of LGBTQ people and, and that's why I think it's important that in in, in the context of, of, of gay pride and the context of LGBTQ issues that we do raise awareness that we do as a government uh, represent at the UN the highest level the need for equality the need for discrimination to be ended and I think Simon Coleman to be fair was motivated by that and Catherine Sapone you know, has it has been a champion of equality here in Ireland and, and has worked in other areas, I believe, uh, from listening to the committee this morning. So I, I think, look, it's important that Simon Coveney has apologised. He's done that. Uh, we're now, you know, learning from the mistake that we made and, and, and hopefully that we can put in place a process in the future for the appointment of special envoys. And listen, as a person who knows exactly the import of what the America's Cup could do, I hope that in 10 days' time he's able to announce uh, that he's brought it here because it'll be a massive boost for the country. Anyway, Simon Coveney continues to present live and answer questions in front of the Joint Committee on Foreign Affairs and Defence. And Jerry Buttermer, you gave a solid defence to both Leo and Simon, as we would have expected. So thank you very much. And uh, thank you. For coming on this morning. Cheers. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7 a.m. and wake up your weekend with music, chats, and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. Get it off your chest. 
Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Now, tomorrow afternoon, as Neil covered uh, last week, Sinn Féin TD Tommy Gould will launch his legislation to attempt to ban the use of credit cards for gambling, both online and for in-shop betting. And to speak about gambling addiction, we have Sinead on line six. Good morning, Sinead. Good morning. How are you, Mick? I'm great. Now, we spoke to you previously on the programme. You told us how playing bingo as a child, a seemingly innocuous uh, activity. Many, many children are brought to bingo halls uh, or, or were in the past. Uh, but this yeah. led to you kind of on the slippery slope to uh, liking and getting addicted to gambling and uh, generating some huge gambling debt. Yeah. Yeah. The How- bingo, they started off with bingo and then I was introduced to casinos um, in my early 20s and it progressed from there. Then the casinos was, was my gambling then. Well, okay. How young were you when you started playing bingo? Um, I was about, I'd say I was about eight or nine. Okay. And, and what was the, what was the buzz? It was of the rush of waiting for that last number or just filling the lines or? It was, it was the buzz of the last number waiting. Like my whole body used to shake. I, I, you know, I start sweating and everything, you know, from a very, from a very early age, I knew, you know, that the gambling, I knew that, that there was an adrenaline when I was waiting for numbers or, you know, and by the age of maybe 16, 17, I was playing three books or, you know, I, I couldn't get enough of it. Yeah, I, I suppose the payoff in the endorphin scene comes from the high. You're, you're waiting, yeah. uh, you're anticipating, uh, and if you get that number, it's the victory. It's your, you, You've hit the summit of Mount Everest. The endorphins yeah. flow. And then it's a case of chasing that buzz again, isn't it? It is. It is. You're always chasing. You're always chasing, Mick. If you win, if you win on a Tuesday night, you're back in a Wednesday night, you feel that your luck is in, you know, that you're in a winning streak, like, you know, and it was the same at the casinos. It was always chasing. You were chasing your losses all the time. Uh, and did you were they waiting re- for that big win. Did the responsible adults who were bringing you to these bingo games probably who are also never addicted to gambling, uh, spot no. any, anything wrong with you? Um, no. No. Not until my late teens. You know, my family realised that there was something going on. Like, you know, when I when I started going to casinos, Do the you bingo th- was just a normal, the bingo was a normal thing, you know. Um, where I'm from, you know, you, you, you go to bingo three or four nights a week, you know, with your parents or with your grandparents. You know, it was just a, it was just a normal thing. You know, and as I say, when I was introduced to casinos in in, in my early 20s, you know, it, then it progressed, then it became a problem. Okay, and do you think you would have got gotten involved in casinos and gambling in casinos if it wasn't for the bingo? Um, I, I, I can't answer that question, to be honest. Do you know what I mean? I, I, all I know is that from playing bingo, the adrenaline was always high when I was playing bingo. You know, I always, as I say, I was always, I was always looking for that, for that win and I was always chasing it. You know, and then the bingo got too boring for me. So, as I say, I was introduced to casinos okay. and the casinos then became... Tell, tell, tell me a little about that first introduction away from bingo and into the casino life. Um, I remember I, I, was actually, I was actually at bingo and, and a friend of mine said to me that I want to go to the casino after bingo. You know, so I went into the bingo and I remember the first time I put money into the machine. I, I remember the first win that I had and from that win, I, I knew then that, that I loved it. This is the new super high. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the high was there. I loved every bit of it. So what about you know, Sinn Féin's gambling policy? Do you think it's about time that the easy oh, access to gambling from uh, credit cards or debit cards should be curtailed at least? Oh yeah, 100%. Totally agree with it. Totally agree with it. I mean, like the gambling, I, you, you see it yourself there on the television. Every second ad is about gambling. 
You know, I mean, like it's, it's enticing people to do it. You know, uh, deposit 10 euros, get 100 free spins. You know what I mean? And it, it's, it's, it's everywhere. Social media, television, papers, everything. Okay, you somebody know, just... I mean, like it, there, somebody just texted me that it's... Uh, with gambling, it's not endorphins, it's dopamine. It's dopamine, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it, it's, 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 the, it's the chasing. It's the chasing. It's, it's the, I mean, like, there was only two feelings that I ever had when I was gambling, and that was high and low. And nothing in the middle, really. You're always chasing the no. high... And, and always chasing the high, waiting like a, like a compulsive gambler. We'll always wait for the big win. When we have our big win, then we'll pay off all our debts and we'll go on holidays and we'll do this. But we never got the big win. Okay. What well, what I want to discuss now, if you can, is the arrears that you fell into, and I don't know how or who uh, this huge amount of debt was extended to you, but two point two million euros. Oh yeah, including mortgage and everything with the house. Yeah, I got in arrears with the mortgage. I got in arrears. I got in arrears with credit unions. I got in arrears with banks. I got in arrears, you know, with everything really. You know, I owed people money. I borrowed money, you know, off people that I shouldn't have. You know. Okay. And you know, it, it's just it, I would have done anything to gamble. I would have. I would have cut off my right leg to gamble. So how did you break the vicious cycle? I went into I went into Coonvera. I came clean to my family, 2017, and I went into Coonvera for three months in, in Burie in County Limerick um, and you know just going to meetings getting a sponsor you know um, talking to people in the, in the fellowship every day no it is hard you know it, it, it is a battle every day you know when things go wrong in, in, in my life personally you know the first thing I want to do is sit in front of a machine because that's where I feel safe and that's where you might feel you can get yourself out of whatever problems that you have yeah. financial or otherwise yeah yeah, when I was sitting in front of a machine, I felt that nothing could hurt me. That's that's that was my safe place. Okay, but you don't have to go to bingo now, and you don't have to go to a casino physically no. anymore because it's all available no. online. So you don't agree with, really with online gambling, do you? No, I never, I never got into online gambling. I don't agree with it. And if you did, do you think it would be all consuming? Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. If I even tried, if I even logged in, I'd be back at it straight away. So I choose not to. I can't get the apps on my phone. I have them all blocked on my phone. Okay. It's, but uh, obviously young people don't. There's a lot of people who gamble very healthily, I imagine. Uh, and all of the gambling advertising you see comes with that little disclaimer or that little, uh, you know, that little message at the end. Always gamble responsibly. Responsibly, yeah. Yeah. But like I, I see it here in, in where, where I'm from, like, you know, the town that I'm living in, do you know what I mean? You see all the young things going into the betting offices, you see them all going into casinos and, you know what I mean? It, it, it's frightening. It's frightening because it's younger they're getting. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's, it's younger they're getting. I wonder, can under 18s circumvent the, uh, you know, the, the laws that attach to gambling online and, and that they can, can they fake their ID and get on when they're 15 or 16? Of course they can. I mean, like, of course they can. There's ways and means of doing everything like... If you if you want to gamble, you'll gamble. So, what advice you would know? you give to people who are gambling now and that may need some signs to look out for? Well, I mean, the advice that I give to anybody that that's gambling that they feel that it's a problem, that it's problem gambling. You know what I mean? There's GA meetings all over the country. Pick up the phone. There's a hotline. You can talk to somebody. You know, um, get, you know, get into get into the meetings. Talk to people, like-minded people. You know, I remember when I went into the rooms for the first time, I, I, I was all over the place, you know, and now I walk into the rooms and, you know, I feel safe. I feel like I'm in a place where I need to be. You know, there's help out there for everybody. 
And how was you know, this? Yeah, nobody uh, how, on their own, like. Yeah, how how was this help given to you and distributed to people like you uh, over the course of the COVID restrictions? Because you weren't we obviously allowed meetings. to meet. It was Zoom meetings, was it? Yeah, we had Zoom meetings. We had three to four Zoom meetings every week, and I I was also on international meetings in America, all over the place. And where does yeah. the two point two million euro debt stand now, and how have you dealt with that overhang? Well, all of all of all of my all of my debts at the moment are in, in, in and they're balanced. You know, I I went to the the Mavs bureau and I you know sorted out things and I like I can put my head down on my pillow tonight and you know I have a little bit of peace of mind because my bills are being paid. Mm-hmm. How important is that? To you put know? your head on your pillow at night with peace. Oh, it's, it's very important because when I was in in active addiction, you know, I I didn't sleep. I was constantly sick in my stomach. You know, and I was I was constantly scheming and plotting in my head where was I going to get the money for the next bet. For how many people would you imagine, Sinead, it doesn't end as well as it ends for you and that they may see no recourse to carry on, they may take their own lives? Well, there's like there's a lot of people, you know, that that are afraid to admit that they have a problem with gambling. You know, there's a lot of people that are in denial about their, their, their problem gambling, you know. Um, I have I have known two members of my fellowship that have taken their own lives over gambling. You know, because they see no way out. You know, but there is always a way out. For years, I was stuck in a rut that I saw no light at the end of the tunnel. You know, and it, it was me. I, I I had contemplated taking my own life over it. You know, but I had a son, you know, that I needed to be here for. And I went for the help. I got the help. And it was the best thing that I ever did. How much should the platform owners take responsibility for or try to identify signs and traits of problem gambling people coming back and back and back losing, they losing, losing inside in casinos like from what I from my own experience they love to see you coming back there is no such thing as you know oh Sinead you, 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 you've gambled enough now look you should go home you know or whatever like you know I mean like they, they'd give you a loan of money to keep gambling because it's all about their bottom line really isn't it yeah you know I mean like at the end of the day they're, 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 they're there to make money you know, they don't care what lives are, are being destroyed or, you know, whether somebody's going home to f- have money to feed their children or, you know, whatever. Okay. You know, their pockets are full and that's, and that's the reality of it. Would, would it be possible or impossible for you, Sinead, to describe to me what, what is healthy gambling? If, if people enjoy a flutter on the, the pools for the soccer or the odd horse or, or whatever it's going to be, um, is, is there a healthy well, you know, level? I know, people, I know people, you know, that, you know, they might have a, an old bet in Cheltenham. You know what I mean? Once a year. I know people that, you know, that do the pools in the soccer, you know, maybe once every couple of weeks. Yeah, but that, that gives them t- 10 or 20 matches to, to watch and to take an interest yeah. in for, for a fiver or whatever. Yeah, and that's, and that's, and that's, I, I, can never, I can never say it's healthy gambling because I'm a compulsive gambler, you know, mm. and I always feel that healthy gambling can progress into compulsive gambling. I suppose to a recovering alcoholic, there's no such thing you know, as healthy no drinking either. Going, yeah, there's no such thing as going down for one point because at one point it leads to two to three to four. You know, eventually it will progress. Okay, you're you know, very, you're very brave to come on and tell gambling. your story. Um, life is much better now? 100%. 100%. Life is good today. And everything, is, is, everything today. is reconciled, debts-wise, family-wise, relationship-wise? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have massive support. I have a great family behind me. You know, I have a 21-year-old son. He's a massive support to me and everything. Yeah, you, 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 know, you, so you like, sound so strong good. to me. I, I, you know, you, you sound so strong that nothing could beat you. 
Uh, but this obviously you know did, didn't get a hold it, of it. it. I thought, I, th- I thought it, it didn't. It nearly beat me. It nearly beat me. But you know what? I found the strength to find, find help and find recovery. You know, and and I'm grateful today that I did through the grace of God that I did find recovery. Because would I be saying, would I be here talking on the phone to you if I was continuing if I was if I was gambling? I don't know. Would I be? Would I still be here? I don't know the way my head was. Yeah. Well, it's great to you hear know? you so strong and so positive and nice to talk to you again. Uh, and I can only wish you all the very best for the future. I know it's day by day, um, but you yeah, seem to have the strength now to... And you realise where you came from is not somewhere you want to go back to. So I think you'll do very well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If I keep doing what I'm doing, I'll, I'll get there, all right. Thanks a million, Sinead. Thank you very much, mate. Cheers, Thank thanks. You. Bye-bye. It's 20 bye, past bye, 11 bye. now. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And of course, you can contact the show by phone on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six or by text and WhatsApp on zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Now, our previous interview uh, has uh, created a demand for this number. Uh, one or two people looking for gamblers anonymous number, and it is uh, a court number, uh, but it's on mobile zero eight seven. Two eight five nine five five two. So you'll be speaking to somebody from Cork, I imagine, but it's a mobile number zero eight seven two eight five nine five five two, and that's for Gamblers Anonymous. Good morning, Tracy. Hello, how are you? I'm good. You often went to bingo as a child as well. Yeah, uh, my mother and uh, like all my aunts and my grandmother always played bingo a couple of nights a week, and like as children, we were often taken, um, but. Like, it never developed into anything for any of us. So, like, I think it's got more to do with the personality type. Mm-hmm. Some people have have an addictive personality. And I think that it's watching for those signs that people, you know, if people are taking children to bingo, like, I commend that girl. I mean, God, I feel very sorry for her. But at the same time, she's done so well to get herself out of that mess. Mm-hmm. And I'm not for a moment suggesting that bingo is the big, big lead into gambling problems. Uh, many, many thousands of people and young people yeah. don't go to it. It is, it is in the gambling arena, though. Uh, but many people enjoy it in, in, in the harmless, social, interactive uh, bit of banter and bit of fun that it is. Yeah, but like I agree that uh, credit cards shouldn't be allowed, and definitely the ads on television are a disgrace. I mean, they don't, they don't any longer really allow alcohol and cigarette advertisements. But yet, gambling, as Sinead said, is on every every two minutes. It makes it so cool looking and so trendy to place your bet and do it so easily online and then cash out and everyone's a winner. Uh, and then yeah. they say, please gamble responsibly. Yeah, but I mean, for kids, those ads look fun, they're bright, they're colourful, they're, you know, they're trying to entice people in. And I know they're in it to make money, but at the same time, they should be held accountable a certain amount. Like the, as I said, the government has banned advertising of alcohol and cigarettes and everything in sports and everything because it was a bad influence on children and people who might be involved in those kind of activities. But how are, how are they going to stop credit and debit cards being used? Because you're not actually using the credit or debit card to gamble. You are using it to top up an account and make a purchase, if you like. So you make a purchase of 100 euro, uh, but that 100 euro is credited to your gambling account. And yeah, it's from it's, there it's that impossible. you do your gambling. It's next to impossible to actually bring that in because everything now is cards. So like while while they're on about doing it, how they're actually going to put it into place is a completely different ballgame altogether. You know, maybe, it, maybe put limits uh, or m- monthly limits on each card. Uh, yeah, there, there are ways around that too or maybe put a 
put a limit on the entire uh, monthly limit that somebody can lodge electronically? Yeah, they'd have to do something like that because otherwise it's not going to work. But at the bottom, at the bottom of all this, the bottom line is really that some people have um, a more addictive personality than others, be it for one reason or another, there's something in them and it often runs in families, so that's something to be aware of. I, I imagine Sinead's family, Tracy, are, are wondering, well, look, what if we never brought her to bingo? Would she have got so bad or would she have been involved with gambling troubles uh, and well, po- possibly to a degree blaming themselves uh, because bingo I, is what kind of kicked it off for her? I don't really agree with that because, in all fairness, lots of people go to bingo and it was actually probably the casino that was the cherry on top. But it, it it's something that's within a person because um, I'm a trained therapist and if you have a person who's going to hunt for that dopamine kick, if it's not bingo or it's not gambling, it's going to be something else. Alcohol or drugs or yeah. um, so unless they get daredevil activities counseling. even. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it comes in so many different forms and unless that's recognised in time and maybe get counselling around it or support and help around it, then people can get self-destructive and it, it happens before people even realise it. So it, it's just, but it, it could be cigarettes, it could be drink, it could be gambling, it could be um, even shopping. A lot of people shop to get that hit and get themselves in debt that way. So like there's so many different ways that if you're that type of personality or there's something in you that strives for that dopamine hit, that you're going to get it one way or another. Uh-huh. Do you know? How long so, since you played bingo now? Me? Uh, God, about eight years. Is this? Do you remember all of the yeah. nicknames? I do. I remember the nicknames. Two because, little ducks, is it 22? Yeah, yeah. Two fat ladies, that's probably very numbering. politically incorrect these days. Can you still say that? <laughs> yeah. Two fat ladies, 88? Yeah, well, I would never problem with it. But, any know. other ones? I don't remember any more of them, actually. Um, I don't. I, I remember those ones that you said. Was and there a clickety-click? Clickety-click, yeah. And Halfway House, 45, and Top of the Hill, 90, and different things like that. But, yeah. like, my mother, my mother loves to go to bingo. And my mother would probably have no social life if she did go to bingo. And that you has know? to be recognised. It's a huge social yeah. outlet for people as well. It is, it is. And especially for um, people as they get older. Do you know, it's the church and bingo. The church and bingo. bingo. And the occasional yeah. win doesn't do any harm either to most people. No, no, no. I mean, it's, I mean as my mother said, she couldn't win a, a, her way, a fight out of a wet paper bag. But like, she occasionally she'd win. And I mean, she'd enjoy it. But, you know... It wouldn't. It wouldn't be anything. I think casinos are and online betting are definitely um, take it on a downward slope because people, even kids, they have fake IDs. They get in. You can see it. Like there's so many different ways that a person can get led astray by it, and it's all very fine if you can go in and you can walk away after having a bit of fun. But for a lot of people, they can't. Yeah, because that's essentially what bingo is, isn't it? It's fun and luck more than uh, pure gambling. Yeah, I mean, for for us, bingo was half-time, where we got to talk to people and we got to mix and see people we hadn't seen since maybe the week before and that sort of stuff. Because, I I mean, I live in kind of, not a rural community, but I'm, I'm in a town. So, like, it, it was a huge part of town, you know, um, for the older ladies especially, and men too. I mean, there's lots of men play, and some people just aren't pub people, and they don't play darts, and they don't play hoops, and they don't, they don't do GAA, and for some people it's just their thing. All right, you know? fair enough. Yeah.
Uh, so you yeah. went to bingo as a child, never ended up with a gambling problem, as most yeah. people don't. Yeah. I think it's more deep-seated. I mean, um, addictive personalities is definitely a thing, and it's definitely a very real thing. And if it's not gambling, it will be something else. And unfortunately for the people who have it, if they can't get the support soon enough, and, you know, getting the support in the country, the government doing their best, but every single uh, counselling service is overwhelmed and understaffed, and, you know, it's just, it's so difficult. All right. Thanks for coming on, Tracy. Shed a lot of light okay. on that. Thanks, right, Emil. Thank you. Bye, Neil. Bye. Cheers. Bye bye. Uh, okay. Gamblers Anonymous again is 087 285 9552. 285 9552. The whole world is looking for ice cream vans. Good morning, Victoria. Hi. Good morning, Mick. You're looking for one as well, are you? Get in line. <laughs> is your daughter's Hello? communion this coming Saturday, is it? Yeah, it is. And what did it's you have booked, or what have you booked? I had an obstacle course and an ice cream van booked off the same company that I'd used for years. And he let me down last night, just text and said, sorry, can't do it. Any reason why? He gave me no reason, but I, I've used him for years for communion confirmations. And something told me to text just to confirm. And he's been ignoring me for about four days. So I kind of was getting a bit nervous and texted him on Facebook. He blocked me. Then he just sent me a message saying, can't do it. Then I realised he's doing it to a load of other people for communions and birthdays for the last few weeks. He's just taken so a double booking, has he? Well, he said to one lady that he couldn't come to her because he got one local to his own town and it was worth more money. That's not, not really a great way to run a business for with, with the lo- no. long-term vision, is it? No, and as I said, I've used him for years for birthdays. I've used him at least 10 years. Okay, and this is going to have a bad effect now on your little girl because... Uh, She's been through the mill lately, has she? Yeah, she has. What happened? Um, she lost her um, uncle a few months ago from brain cancer. And that uncle was, was also night. her godfather, yeah? Yeah. So she's struggling struggling to cope with that. Okay, um, she prays every single night for him. This was meant to be the one big, big happy day. Yeah. Okay, what, what area are you in, just in case we can find another? Uh, the Mallow area. In the Mallow area, okay. So you've tried everywhere locally. Uh, it's for this coming Saturday. You've not had any luck. You're not looking for freebies or anything. Uh, just looking no. for someone with availability uh, to avoid more disappointment. Um, Mallow area, yeah, okay. I, yeah, and we pay delivery if it's extra, whatever, just to give her her day, like, because she packed up in a day and she got a lovely necklace from him even though he passed and it was blessed and everything with her rosary beads from him, you know, to make it special before oh, he passed so away. Sad. Yeah. So sad. Yeah. Okay, so we, we need, this is a big one, folks. If you, anybody has, even for an hour or two, uh, yeah. an ice cream van uh, stroke, you know, concession stand, whatever, one of those Mr. Whippies or something that can offer uh, treats and sweets and ice creams. Uh, this little girl has been through the mill. She's lost her uncle stroke godfather, struggling to cope needs this big one happy day. It's this coming Saturday. Surely somebody out there can get in touch. Uh, you can text us on 0868104106 or phone 1850104106. Uh, we will keep in touch with you, Victoria. Hopefully we'll get somebody for you. Uh, maybe if we get somebody for our Ballyvalan uh, client, Jackie, uh, that uh, could do maybe a few hours there and, a, and a, an hour or two for you. I'm sure Jackie and her family wouldn't mind either. Yeah, anything at all would be great. Okay. Thanks a million. Thanks very much. Okay, I hope we can help. I really do.
Thanks very much. Thank Th- you. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now then, we have an email here. I want to get through some of the emails uh, that are piling up, actually. Uh, unlawful eviction. Hi, Mick. I'm writing to you on behalf of a friend of mine who at the moment is distressed and depressed as he is facing eviction simply because he had a friend stay overnight at his apartment. The complex is run by a manager and saw my friend's friend leave the apartment on CCTV the next day. Reported this to the group who now want to evict my friend. I would like to ask you to ask the public on behalf of my friend, should he be evicted over this? Is this a lawful act to evict a person for having a friend stay overnight? No drink or drugs were involved or any public laws broken. Please do not give out my name as I value my privacy and fear a reprisal over writing to you uh, uh, over this, but I do fully support my friend. Would you please ask your listeners and get their advice? My friend's very upset. He received a solicitor's letter on behalf of this group and now faces eviction to leave his apartment on the 1st of January 2022. Uh, my friend has never been in trouble and is a good and kind person and citizen. Kind regards. Uh, I'm kind of operating in the dark here. Uh, I don't know what group you're talking about. I don't know uh, if any conditions or contract was signed to say that nobody could stay overnight in the apartment. I also don't know why there's such a fuss over somebody not causing any trouble whatsoever, spotted on CCTV, leaving the apartment the following day, uh, and why this eviction is now uh, seeming to be coming down the tracks. If anyone can shed any more light on that, uh, albeit I understand there's very little uh, in that email that we can go on uh, to try and develop the topic, especially if somebody can't or won't come on air. Uh, so now we have Dan and Ballin, uh, Ballin Hassig on line two to go back to our phone lines. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Mick. How are you going? Good. What have you got I for have, us? I heard you mention this morning about the nine million euros for that big uh, yachting event. Mm-hmm. Right, and I don't think it should be any problem for the government handing over nine million euros because in it's going to bring in about four hundred million. Yeah, right. And I just give an example. The government has spent before five years before twenty twenty, they spent fifty eight million euros on external con- consultants in five years. So between zero twenty and fifteen or fourteen, they spent fifty eight million on external consultants in five years. How much is that? So about? In- Twelve million a year or so? Yeah. So yeah. Approximately. Very near up. So nine million euros is not a whole lot of money uh, according to what I uh, what I'm reading here now. And as you say, I would bring in how much? Four hundred million. Four hundred million. Yeah. And yeah, and, and, and the, the tourism on, on, the tourism spin off over the years to come could be in the billions. So on on the overall uh, amount of money to very very little nine million euros. Yeah, I, I'm sure the the nine million is lined up because this is something we can't afford to uh, to let slip if it's granted to us. That must be part of the application conditions. Uh, yeah, but it's it's, yeah. it's uh, the third biggest sporting event in the world with the third biggest audience. So that's right. Uh, it would be very well I, worthwhile. Um, you know, I would. But when 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 the, when the government agencies can spend nearly sixty million euros on external con- consultants in five years, the the nine million euros is only like a drop in the ocean. Mm. I, I wonder what that consultancy budget is being used for. Is it just to advise ministers or? Right, uh, look, right. I don't know. Listen, they have used all that kind of money, Mick, for years and years. There was one of the, uh, the Department of Housing. Can I, can I name one of these consultants? Uh, you better not, just in case you get us in some legal hot water. So uh, let, let's just uh, the, the, let's just the, keep the it in general. Of, just, let's just say John the, the consultant. Yeah, the Department of Housing paid John 
for advice for corporate advisors services on the and listen to me listen to, on the establishment of the land agency. Okay. Uh, any of these areas where, where, where these consultants are operating, you know, like I could, you could talk about housing, you could talk about homelessness, you could talk about infrastructure, you could talk especially about health, uh, you know, you could talk uh, ad nauseum about health, uh, pardon yeah. the pun, but... Um, yeah. I, know, I know that, yeah. Are, are all these consultants just spinners to keep the, uh, keep the mud from there's sticking some, to the there's government? Some of, there's some of the biggest firms in the country... No, I, I, I better not say no more. All right, okay. We'll leave I it there, but you've raised a very valuable point. 58 million wasted, you say, on consultancy yeah, fees right. uh, over the yeah. uh, five or six years, yeah. 2015 to 2020. Dan and Ballinhassig, thanks very much. Cheers. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. And good morning to Finola Doyle O'Neill. Hi, Finola. Hi, Mick. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Not a bother. Now, you're director of the importance of being earnest in the Cat Club, and it's kicking off tomorrow night. And of course, uh, you do you did have capacity restrictions, and now you have uh, because of changing, uh, you know, the changing parameters. You have a little bit of room, have you? So we're delighted, actually. So this is like a sort of a time of renewal and regrowth. So we were fully um, committed to having 28 in the audience and then the restrictions were limited, were, were removed on Monday and we suddenly had 36. Now we have capacity for 55. So I just would love it sort of to, to be known to the people of Cork because it's such a beautiful kind of bijou theatre, the Cat Club, and we would love more people to buy tickets for the next few nights. So we're on until um, from this Wednesday to Saturday. Um, it's a tremendously witty um, play. As you know, um, Oscar Wilde was the sort of the, the joy-in of wit during that period. And he talked about the play being um, a serious a serious um, play for, for trivial people. So it's very, very astute about the sort of the morals and mores of Irish life. So um, I have a fantastic cast. Um, many of them are from um, UCC. Um, I'm formerly was involved with the UCC players and uh, this is my own company Stages Productions so we have a tremendous um, sort of array of actors and uh, we were very lucky and we were also featured during COVID we were the only group during COVID to actually have a production and um, we were had a very small piece on the RT News because we had that window of wonder there last year during Mm -hmm. COVID and uh, we managed to, to do a full week of production. So this is our second reprisal. We've had so many people waiting to buy tickets for this, but we were just unable to be able to publicise it. So I'm really appreciative, Mick, that you've given us this opportunity because really it's great to have theatre back. It's been a huge um, sense of um, well-being for people. I was walking through Cork this morning from Black Rock and I just said, what a sense of renewal and energy that we're back in theatres. Um, it's been a very difficult time for theatre people, um, particularly, I most people have it as their profession um, I'm very very fortunate that I have um, you know that I'm involved in an amateur level but I can see the joy that it gives to people um, and it gives a sense of you know we've got people ringing out today you know really looking forward to getting out and the fact that it's very as I said it's a very entertaining comedy um, and, and you've got about 27 time. tickets now for how many nights? Um, so we have the next four nights and um after that then there'll be of course there'll be another UC Sarah's production called um, Dinner with the Family so there's quite a lot of um, theatre taking place and very interesting enough to Doris Mannion who's the artistic director of the CACLA was telling me that the theatre actually 
that theatre groups have booked out the theatre for next year. So there's a huge sense of renewal and growth and optimism about what is happening with theatre. Um, and with my own production company, Stated, I'm delighted to, I'm always, we're always welcoming new actors. So if anybody wants to get in touch, this would be a perfect opportunity. Um, we're always looking for new talent and we also collaborate with people um, for script writing, for new scripts. Um, and also some of my actors have been involved in some of the reconstructions in TG Carr. You might have seen uh, recently the um, the Great Loves of Ireland, a history programme, and many of the actors that I'm involved with were involved in the re- in sort of re- reincarnations and reconstructions there. So it's very, very lively, the, um, the theatre in Cork, and I'm very proud to be part of it. But I've been very fortunate that I have tremendous actors. And when I say amateur, I really don't mean amateur. They're hugely and wholly professional. They're fantastic people altogether. And I've been very they're not doing it for the money with 28 to 55 people in the audience. Absolutely not. In fact, I'm definitely not in for the money, I can tell you. Mick, because it's, it, obviously, you know, you've always got to be good for your actors. So, um, and, and the thing is that they do it for the love of theatre and they're tremendously committed. And even, um, I'm just looking here now, I'm in the dressing room of the cast club and one of the outfits that one of my cast is wearing is actually my wedding outfit that I wore my wow. wedding. <laughs> and what, what, what about people who've never been to the theatre, couldn't be bothered going to the theatre, don't understand the joy that theatre might bring? Is this a time that you could be attracting, uh, you know, new converts to theatre life? Absolutely, Mick. And you see, the thing is that this is a very undemanding comedy. There's some, there's actually music and everything involved too. We have a lovely singer called uh, Kirst O'Donoghue, um, and he's he's a great actor altogether as well, and Reese Halterly. So really, I think people would love to come along and see just the talents that is here, and also just to have a little bit of entertainment, escapism. It's very very safe. We're down to one meter now. Everybody's still wearing masks in the in the audience. Uh, we have two breaks, so they're not going to feel claustrophobic. So it's going to be a gorgeous evening tomorrow evening. The weather is holding well, but I just think with theatre that um, I'm very much into the belief that the sort of the, the dictum that we really should entertain. So my own company, Stage of Productions, we. I call it the sort of the home of classics and comedies. I really do think that um, that theatre is very sort of insightful. And someone like Oscar Wilde, who, when he wrote this play, The Importance of Being Earnest, it was that transition between Victorian England and Edwardian England. And he's really able to sort of challenge the morals and mores of society. And he was a little bit like our social media. He was able to sort of see the foibles and the weaknesses in people. So there's some tremendous wit in it. I often get mixed up, and I know they're two diametrically opposed characters, with the wit of Oscar Wilde and the wit of Winston Churchill. Uh, Was it Oscar Wilde said, um, I I might be drunk, but you'll still be ugly in the morning? Or was that church? That was Winston Churchill. Was it? (laughs) What's Oscar Wilde's famous one? Uh, Oscar Wilde has said things, you know, like sort of um, the pures are the the, the, sort of the the truth is is never pure, never simple. And he talked about um, when somebody, you know, one of the characters loses his... um, his, both his parents and he said to, use, to lose one parent could be considered a tragedy to lose two is considered to be carelessness you know so um, there's lots of sort of very great humour and he was very kind of insightful because just when he wrote this play within two weeks Oscar Wilde was to be imprisoned in um, Reading Jail where he wrote that tremendous poem uh, because of his um, homosexuality. So he was a man who was very, you know, troubled. He was a man who was spurned by society towards the end. And this was his last great play, The Importance of Being Earnest. Um, and, you know, his life really, um, when you consider that, you know, he spent the rest of his life in, in France and he's very much celebrated there. He's actually mm-hmm. tombstone. Usually so, in yes. France. 
Uh, okay, I've got to leave it there, Finola, but look, uh, it's okay. www.corkartstheatre.com. You've got That's essentially right. uh, 50% capacity coming up for the next four nights, available That's now. Right. That's 27 yeah. tickets, over 100 tickets there over the next four nights, uh, and people can get That's in touch at www.corkartstheatre.com. Best of luck with the production. You're very good. Thank the importance you very of much. Being Thanks. Thanks. Finola Thanks Doyle. O'Neill. Uh, we've got lots of texts and comments coming into us. A birthday wish. Can you wish our parents, Timmy and Mary, a happy 30th wedding anniversary today? Hope they have a fab day from Rachel, Shane, and Jason. And another birthday wish. Good morning, Mick. If you could please wish our father, Captain John Owens, a big happy birthday. He's 40 years young today. And lots of love there comes from Sean and from Leah. John is on line one. Hi, John. Hello, yes. No, you got knocked down by a cyclist and you heard yes, Tom hello, earlier about the cyclist and you wanted to tell your own story. Yeah, well, now, here's my claim to fame, to come on the radio following an Oscar Wilde. Isn't that some claim to fame? There you go. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember, Oscar Wilde had a very, very famous, uh, funny retort. Uh, he had hundreds of them. Like, I mean, there are hundreds. You can get books of the wit and wisdom of Oscar Wilde. Almost every word out of his mouth was a, a witticism. But... Um, the interesting thing is he was once at a, a dinner with the, the painter Whistler, you see, uh-huh. and um, somebody on the table passed a very witty remark, and uh, Oscar said, oh, I wish I had said that. And Whistler said, you will, Oscar, you will. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to declare except my genius. Is yeah, that his, that, that was his line? America. That's right, he was on a tour of America reading to minors all over the West, reading uh, passages from uh, literature and that, you know. Yeah, I, I think it was Winston Churchill, though, who had the famous retort when it was said to him, um, Mr. Churchill, if I was married to you, I should poison your tea. To which the response came, Madam, if I was married to you, I should drink it. Yes, you see, it's to be able to give the quick re- re- retort, like, on your feet. But why is it that we always think of the... Well, you always think of them afterwards, afterwards, don't we? So we do, of course. Yeah. In repose, yeah. Anyway, John, you got knocked down by a cyclist. Yeah, well, I feel very, very strongly about this now because this is an ongoing hazard. Uh, it happened to me, I was coming down some years ago. You know the steps on Fever Hospital Hill uh, by uh, Murphy's Brewery? The uh-huh. steps up there. I was coming out. That's a concealed entrance, you see. So it was uh, just about nine o'clock on an October evening, not quite fully dark, and I came off the steps and turned left just to go over to uh, use the traffic lights, and next thing I was out flat on my face, hit by a bike from behind. A guy was speeding along the footpath, didn't realise there was a concealed entrance, and he couldn't stop and crashed right into me and sent me flying. And by the grace of God... I didn't break anything, but I was floored, you know. Yeah. So next day, I went over to Anglesey Garda Station. Not to report this individual, because I don't know who he was anyway. He was very apologetic, but you know. And I said to this guard at the desk, said, I listen, what's the situation with regard to people cycling on the footpath? And he thought for a second, and he said, well, you know, they're safer on the footpath than on the road. Are you serious, I said. Wow. I've been knocked down last night by a cyclist, and I don't know how often I've had a narrow escape. Yeah, he made nothing of it. But, of course, the guards now have become Ireland's secret service. You, can, you can't see a guard from one end of the country to the other now, like, you know. And, and did you get any satisfaction as to whether the cyclist should have been on the footpath or not? No, but I remember Pascal Donoghue, when he was some kind of minister, passed a bylaw imposing a 60 euro fine on people for safety on the footpath and that was the last we heard of it.
like everything else, it's passed in, put into the books and forgotten. Now, I feel very strongly about this because elderly people are very much at risk. And I would advise any elderly pe- person listening, if you're walking on a footpath, especially a broad one, keep in by the wall. Because you're liable, if you walk in the centre of the footpath, anybody can whiz by you at any time. And particularly, I notice these delivery guys, they're charging around the footpath, and they're not they're weaving in around people. If you step out of line, move to the right or to the left, you're done for. It's very important for elderly people to stay in by the wall. They're less likely to be hit by a cyclist. But this is the situation we're in now. There's nothing done about it. It's just left go on like everything else, you know? And what should change? That there should be a bylaw? There should be on-the-spot fines from the guards? They should, if they're on the footpath, they should be walking with a bicycle. The place where a bicycle is the road. We have plenty of... I've actually seen cyclists on the footpath careering along and a bicycle laying next to them and they're not using it. And, and why do they want to use the footpaths? Because it must I be harder know. to navigate with people walking know. and I, turning. I, and I, I don't know why they do. I mean, I suppose they feel it's quicker or something. I don't know. Maybe they're afraid of the traffic. Or maybe, yeah, I'm just wondering, are, are they getting aggression from motorists, maybe? I suppose, they, well, they, they're getting... They, they're not getting half enough aggression from pedestrians anyway. <laughs> because, uh, no, I, 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 I'm someone who cycled and loved to cycle to the countryside, but had to give it up because I, I got afraid of the traffic, you know, in, in narrow country roads, the way they're driving along. You know what I mean? The roads are full of lunatics, like. Uh, I, I know, and uh, it's uh, we're getting lots of texts about uh, the amount of cyclists on our thoroughfares, on our walking uh, footpaths and thoroughfares, that way I mean, problem, on our pedestrian it's, it's, areas, especially it's, 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 lots of texts about Winthrop Street as well, being, uh, you know, it's fully pedestrianised. Uh, I wonder are they flying up and down Princess Street with all of the umbrellas in the middle now, flying up and down the footpaths there. I, I Who don't knows? know about that, but the, the thing is, that's another thing, you know, of course, on a, on a pedestrian, but uh, quite apart from the uh, pedestrianised streets, Mick, um, you know, any footpath is at risk. I was in town recently and I bent over to check something in my bag and a cyclist swept right past me at, at a frightening distance. Wow. You know, he was just next. If I had, as I say, inadvertently turned to the left or right, I was a goner. And of course, they'd never heard of putting a bell on their bike. That's you know, true, actually. A warning. <laughs> You'd wonder why they can be whizzing around so silently when the, the old-fashioned bell is all they need. Exactly. But you know, Mick... Why are we talking about this? It's only a sign of the general malaise in our society. Standards have just gone. Anything goes. On, on one side, we're living in a police anything. state. Now they're taking the smoke out of the coal and uh, all, all sorts of other draconian measures. Uh, and, 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 and on one side, there's, there's no policing of what's obviously a very dangerous practice of multiple cyclists whizzing around footpaths. Yeah, but I do, I, I, I do feel very strongly about the Garda situation. Uh, two things. Firstly, you can't see a guard. They're like a secret service, as I say. And then if you do happen to chance on them, they're so small, you'd nearly fall over them. <laughs> John, I'll leave it there, but thanks. You got right. knocked down by a cyclist, and let's see if we can stop the practice of this yeah, well, uh, whizzing around on footpaths. I'm not the only one. Not but the only one. Again, just to finish, elderly people, be most careful. Stay in by the wall when you're walking and be conscious of the fact that you could be overtaken at any moment by some guy charging along on a bike. Stand by the wall now. That's an old cork saying, isn't it? That's that. Stand by the wall, you're right. Mind the buses. <laughs>
And you're listening. Nice to talk to you, mate. Thanks a million, John. All the best. Uh, we have our birthday wish done. Uh, let's do the Slimming World text. Does that lady believe that teaching kids it's okay to uh, call foods a sin? Uh, that's what Slimming World promotes. It's not the healthy way. Food is not a sin. Uh, on Slimming World, everybody picks uh, or needs to pick what suits them. There's no wrong way. Uh, you do you. It's brave to make a choice for surgery. That's not an easy road. Just listening to the lady on the radio now, what she doesn't understand is that those of us who have taken the road to surgery have had to think long and hard about it. The risks, the restrictions, etc. She doesn't understand that we've tried every single diet, club, fad, etc. to lose the weight and surgery is our last resort. Today is my one year anniversary from when I went under the knife in Turkey. I had a combined surgery, which is a sleeve and mini bypass together. I have lost over 100 pounds and I couldn't be happier. I have no regrets. You can keep those texts coming. On cyclists, say make any propelled vehicle that may cause injury to persons should have liability insurance, at least. And if they haven't, it's Cork City and Cork County Council that are liable. On Jerry Buttermer, how can Jer- uh, Senator Buttermer declare that privacy is a fundamental human right? while his party is discriminating against ordinary, decent Irish people based on their private medical histories by instituting digital green certs, says Richie and Toker. Good point. Golfgate Jerry defending Leaky Leo. What a surprise. Leo is a private citizen, is entitled to go where he wants. Leo is the Tornishta who's been dictating to us for the past 18 months what we should and shouldn't do is a different matter entirely. Hi, Mick. I do believe Simon Coveney and what he says, and while I'm a Fianna Fáil member, I do have to say, to be fair, Simon Coveney is one of the best politicians this country has had, says Jerry. Hi, Mick. Catherine Zappone handed back £60 million to government when she was Minister for Children, when this money was very much needed to fund children in need in this country, and particularly children in state care, says Jerry. Typical of Jerry Buttermer, uh, says another text, trying to turn it into an LGBT issue, and all it is to do uh, with a nod and a wink cronyism, cronyism for letting things slide when she was minister in the last government and a bad minister, I might add. My thanks to our programme producers, Imara Hay-Martin, uh, we have Mark Willington, Seamus Wheelahan, and of course, uh, operating from a distance and very effectively today is Brenda Dennehy. What a great team. We're back tomorrow after news at nine o'clock. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.